Okay, well then we'll get started. Welcome everybody. Uh, we are returning from executive session where we met uh, for the purposes of discussing strategy with respect to collective bargaining units A and E as an open meeting might have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the public body. And uh, we're sorry we're starting just a little bit late, but we're glad you're all here. Um, so we'll get started with our school committee meeting of January 5th. The first item on the agenda is our superintendent's report. Great. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. So a uh, short and quick superintendent's report because we were away on break. So we had a few different items to highlight. I think the first is just welcome back and happy new year. Uh, we come back as a school community and uh, I had the opportunity uh, along with uh, Assistant Superintendent Sarah Shannon and some other members of the team to walk the buildings before going to break. I don't know if you've ever seen school before a December break. It's full of energy, uh, lots of fun activities enjoyed um, across different levels. Emma is nodding. So I just commend all of our, our staff and the students and the families for really getting into the, the different particular activities. Um, I think it caps off a, a really strong start to the school year. And everyone seemed really pleased and it was needed to have that vacation and break as well. So as I just wrote, I just hope that everyone had a, a great time, many traditions, countless me memories, lots of fun, much needed rest. And then you come back in, in January and uh, it's all in front of us here. And we go through really a critical stretch right in the middle of the, the school year. So it's exciting to see kids back in the building and the staff as well. Um, and we're right back at it. So welcome back. Next one is NKs of Excellence. The DECA competition just happened recently and we had a, a contingent from CHS Go. Uh, you can see all the students' names listed in some of their pictures with Mr. Adam Maislin and Ms. Bonnie Bousquet who's taking the lead on DECA. And DECA is a group that uh, we've been trying to build up. This is, the, I believe, their second year. And it's great because it, it engages students as leaders, entrepreneurs around marketing, finance, hospitality, management and really what they do at these competitions is bring some of their own ideas and their projects. Um, they get to interact and network with other students. It's a great place to, to grow and learn and certainly if you have a, a business lens it, it can be the starting point of a lot of things going on. I know Miss Miranda has memories of when she did it as a, a student as well. Uh, so we want to thank uh, the staff for, for chaperoning that and going to that competition and you see the students there. Uh, and they did particularly well. So give that a look. World Language Night, Induction Night, uh, was something that happened right before we headed off to break. Uh, that was on December 22nd. And those are the honor societies for uh, German, for Spanish, and for French. Uh, Ms. Olson, who is our World Language Coordinator, has done a great job over the years really building up this program. And an indicator of excellence uh, truly is the number of students that have met the criteria for the honor societies and have that love of language, fluency, the culture aspect, the embracing of uh, global education. Had the opportunity to talk that night. Um, Dr. Nick Fitzgerald from the high school was there as well. And to see all the students, each ceremony was a little bit different. Um, and they, they shared their different oaths. And uh, I know from talking to some of the families walking out, it was really nice to have that moment in the sun uh, to be celebrated for their love of language and the culture. So to Ms. Olson and to the staff, uh, we thank you and to all the students, kudos on, commending, on uh, committing to learning those languages and the cultures. And just a quick update on the Forsyth Kids Dental Program. 
As you may know, the nursing team has recently paired with Foresight Kids Dental. In the last month, the dentist performed dental exams, cleanings, and fluoride applications for almost 30 students at the Luce and approximately 25 students at JFK. And they returned this month to Hanson, GMS, and CHS. This nonprofit program is for students that don't uh, see a dentist regularly, and they offer families the convenience of having students receive dental care while at school. The district numbers for the fall participation were lower, but we're hoping to see an increase in the numbers uh, when they come again in the spring. CPS nursing team will be pushing out information in the coming months around the Foresight King Spring visit. Please consider signing up for the program. Just want to thank uh, nurse leader Lauren Prashad and her team for coordinating this. When we talk, take a look at equitable practices and making sure students get what they need, this is a nice example of that happening uh, for those that may need that, that service during the school day. So we are thankful for that. Important dates coming up, January 16th is a long weekend for in honor of Martin Luther King Day. We have our next school committee meeting on January 19th at six o'clock here. We have, this is an important note here uh, in some adjustment, the sixth to eighth grade orchestra and chorus concert is in the GMS gymnasium and that's during the day, 1.30 to two. Uh, and I know Mr. Mulhern has been working with the teachers and has found a nice landing spot uh, to have them perform and be seen and hopefully live streamed and taped so everyone can enjoy it. January 27th is an early release, pre-K to 12, professional development. January 27th, 28th, JFK, next up for plays, Annie Jr. with CHS Auditorium. We, get, we wish the best to that uh, cast and crew. Uh, Seven o'clock on that Friday night and then a matinee, I believe, on Saturday at three o'clock. And then again, coming back to the second half of the GMS 6th and 8th band concert, on January 31st, 1.30 to 2. And that's my report. All right, okay. thank you very much. Yes. And uh, Happy New Year, certainly. It's hard to believe it is 2023. I want to say definitely congratulations to those DECA competition winners, as uh, Superintendent Follin alluded to. I, I was in DECA as a, as a high school senior, and it launched a very long, successful career for me in marketing. Um, so it was definitely um, a huge factor. Both of my parents uh, never went to college, no one in my family ever did, and DECA gave me the chance to travel to a world uh, championship uh, in Florida and uh, almost win uh, for that marketing plan, but then it led to a scholarship at Providence College and on and on and here we are. So um, congratulations to the DECA folks. I know just how important um, opportunities like that can be. Uh, also congratulations to the recipients of the world language um, uh, honors in that induction night. Appreciate uh, all the work of the folks involved with that. Uh, any other comments or questions from the school committee? Members of this panel? All right, fabulous. Uh, hearing none, we'll move on to the next item on our agenda, and that is item D, our teaching and learning <coughs> report. This evening we have a pre-K spotlight, which will feature Ms. Kilday, who is our uh, principal of the pre-K, as well as some CAP members to share highlights on what's happening. And for anybody who's been following along the last year or two, we've been trying to have not only spotlights on each of the schools so that parents can have a sense of what's going on and build that culture, but really also shine a light on the volunteers that are helping to support what's going on in those schools because we are um, continuing uh, to do everything we can to drive um, local volunteerism as we've had a shortage. So thank you to Ms. Gilday and our CAP members. Welcome. Nope. Okay. 
right, so tonight I am here uh, to be in the spotlight for the Rodman Early Childhood Program. And I think I have something pretty exciting to share with you tonight, some amazing things um, that are happening at the preschool. So just a little bit of an update, our current numbers, these are a little outdated even as of a few weeks. So we currently have enrollment of 101 students, 42 on IEPs, and 64 uh, active students on our referral list. We continue to have uh, four-day classes, uh, five-day classes, and a brand new classroom that opened about a month ago, uh, a substantially separate classroom. It's called one of our access classrooms. You'll see a through line through the district of access uh, for some children that maybe need more intensive supports and um, uh, instruction so they can make effective progress. We're really happy to have that room up and running, um, and it's going really well. So today I want to talk to you about AAC devices. So what is an AAC device? An AAC device is an augmentative and alternative communication device. Uh, basically, AAC devices uh, supply language in some way for students who may not have language developed yet. So because our school is an integrated preschool and we service many children with disabilities, we do have some friends at our school that just don't have language developed yet. So the AAC device is very important for them. So imagine how frustrating it must be if you have all these thoughts and all these wants and needs and no way to communicate it. So we have seen an explosion with these um, between last spring and this year. Um, and I wanna tell you a little bit more about it. There are a couple of different um, ways that you can use AAC devices that range from very low tech to very high tech. Um, so you'll see the pictures up on the screen. Uh, the first one just has little pictures. I think the wash your hands picture is up there. So those are just small visuals. Um, you see it's on a ring. A lot of our staff wear them right around their uh, belt loop so that's easy access uh, somewhere right around their, um, their ident identification tag. Again, easy access. They are uh, throughout our classrooms, again, so that they're readily available. And so some of our students use these to communicate, and that would be called a PEX board, uh, a picture exchange system, where they would give you a picture requesting what they want. So maybe I want my water. I'm giving you a picture because I don't have the words to express that. So that's really the first uh, you know, stage in using some augmentative device. The second picture you have here is a core board. We're going to talk more about core boards as we go through. Uh, that's basically a board with a lot of those pictures on it. So you can quickly search and you can pick the picture that best suits your need. Um, you can assume that both of these have some limits um, in what they can do and, and what they can help a student express. That's where we jump to the iPad uh, and there are a bunch of different programs um, that you can use as a communication device. Most of our students use something called touch chat, where you have these pictures on the iPad. They have multiple pages, some of them, uh, and they can scroll through these pages. They tap on a picture, they tap on several pictures, and you might get a sentence like, I want Play-Doh from the iPad. Uh, and it's an amazing way uh, for them to communicate. We have seen this really explode this year. Uh, and the uh, success uh, and the, the, the 
how much it helps them to communicate, communicate with their peers, understand communication, and then have increased verbal output is just amazing. Um, if you come in our school, you could see uh, nine students right now in our preschool uh, using an iPad with a system like that to communicate. Four students are using a core board, so they're not quite yet. Uh, at the iPad stage, but they're getting there, and we, we assume they're going to jump there pretty quickly. Um, and then a few using picture exchange, um, but very minimal. Uh, many of them are already making progress to using the iPad. And so we can expect that number to possibly double uh, by the end of the school year, given our referral list. So I think the best way to, to understand this is to see a picture. So this is a picture of a friend at our school who's using Play-Doh, um, and he's communicating what he wants to use um, using the, the iPad. We've seen this happen uh, with puzzles. So you're putting a puzzle piece together, child's looking for a particular color, pick particular shape, they're requesting that. We do a lot of what's called modeling uh, without expectation when we're um, teaching children how to use these. So actually modeling it in the moment, not expecting them to do it right away. It takes a while to learn this, uh, but that seems to be really helpful. I have to say that um, the success of our students um, and, and these devices, in large part, I have to give a shout out to our SLP, Ms. Parks, and um, her assistant, uh, Ms. Mahoney and all of our staff. I mean, they've done a tremendous job of teaching them uh, and consulting with them, but our staff has really jumped on this and, and supporting our students every day using devices. Here's two more pictures um, where you can see our staff supporting them. Um, I've seen children um, flip, touching, flipping through pages um, to get their message across, and it's, it's nothing short of amazing. And like I said, the amount of verbal output it is also creating, I wish I had a video to show you. It, it's just awesome to see. This is one of the core boards uh, that I mentioned. So if you come into our classrooms, you would see, I'm guessing four or five of these up in various parts of the room, large poster size, um, block area, dramatic play. We have one for Play-Doh, different variety of, of activities so that we can model this uh, for our students that need it, but also for our peers that are also learning how to interact and engage with students who use a device. We had a playground event in the fall, um, and, and one of my best memories, it was a capped event, so you'll hear more about it, um, is a child going up to a parent and saying, oh, this is my friend so-and-so. They can, they can talk to us with their iPad. You know, come on, I'll show you. Very accepting, embracing of it. Um, again, just really good to see. But this is one, um, one picture of that. So some people really um, have some concerns about devices, worried that it actually limits the verbal output because the device is actually <coughs> speaking. And, and we just want everyone to know that is not the case. Um, it increases ability to communicate. It increases verbal output, and it elicits a lot more conversational language than I think would have occurred for these children. So um, it's a huge win. Uh, it's amazing to see, uh, and I'm really happy for our students that are able to communicate better now. So happy to share that with you today. I also want to give um, a big shout to our CAP, uh, CPACs, who are offering uh, an informational session 
on the 17th of this month at 6.30 in the high school uh, library. They have a speaker coming in to talk just about this communication devices. So I would encourage anybody to go. I think it will be a great event and really informative. All right. Well, thank you very much for this informative presentation. I think that um, last time you were with us, you talked about an uptick not only in attendance but also the level of um, needs that different childs, um, different children may have, and I can see how this um, could be really powerful in bringing the community together, considering the sort of the mission and the approach of the Rodman. So, um, wonderful work. I wonder if there are comments or questions from the committee. I do. Uh, first, I'm always impressed and um, inspired by every time that you come and present to us of the work that you're doing. I wanted to answer my first question, which was, what is the effect or what is the plan moving forward? So thank you for addressing that, because if I had the question, I'm sure others would have mm -hmm. had that question too. And I'm glad to hear that it, it is not, um, not a, a blocker, it's more an incentive to continue to improve mm -hmm. or just add more language. My other question was, do you have enough iPads? Do you we have, do. You have we do. So access. there are different ways that families can access an iPad, um, and and our interim director of student services could probably share more with you on this. But basically, it's through insurance. Um, but there are also times and um, situations where the district provides the iPad for the student. That's a great. I have a follow-up question. So <coughs> is the iPad assigned to the student and they can take it home with them so they communicate with their parents and family and others? Yeah, absolutely. We call it their talker. Um, so it, we would never want to just keep your talker at school because you need to talk all the time. So it goes back to, back to and from to school. Um, and they all have uh, very preschool safe cases as well. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes they do get tossed. So. <laughs> but yes, it goes back and forth. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I just, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I agree. I love it when you come to talk us about your program. It's always uh, one of the highlights of the district. Um, and you already answered one of my questions. I was wondering if you can share a little bit more about how these students being able to achieve success with communication impacts them in other ways. So I can tell you a story, um, and that might help a little bit. Um, I was this week um, talking with a teacher or a staff member in the hall, and uh, there was a child that was using the bathroom, and there was a staff person with them, and another class was getting ready to go outside, and this child who does not have any verbal language right now uh, was very intent on what the staff member thought was going out with them. And she was trying to navigate and explain that, no, we're not going out yet. It's not our time yet. And, and this child was not having any of it. And he, this child turned around and grabbed his device, opened it, and explained and actually pulled a picture of a child he wanted to say hello to and then walked over and said hello. So advocacy, ability to communicate, communicate with your peers, socialize. Um, share your knowledge so for a lot of these children um, it's difficult to understand for us to understand what they know and understand this is giving us a tool to better learn that and to better uh, develop objectives that best meet for their ad so okay. that's beautiful um, I have one more question uh, I was wondering if you can share a little bit more about how the verbal output is increased mm -hmm. using this tool so often what we will hear uh, in the the device ha has a definite unique voice to it, right? Um, and it is not quiet, which is great. Um, but oftentimes, so say, um, 
somebody types in, I want milk, we will hear milk coming next um, from the child. We have a child who um, loves to ride bikes in the hall. Uh, and initially, the teacher would, you know, I want bike. That child says it without the device now. And that's in a short period of time. It's amazing. That's fabulous. It's amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I just, I'm so happy for all of it. Like has been said before, the joy that you bring, especially when we see the pictures of the children, just puts a smile on my face every time. Um, but the ease of frustration that these students must feel, that's, that's what I'm really connecting with. I know um, going back decades, it was very much teaching sign language to try and enable, <laughs> enable some of that. This is like way ahead of that mm -hmm. and it's very impressive. So very happy for all involved and that it also, as you said, doesn't hinder progress, it actually helps progress. Correct. From there. Yes. Feels very chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> any other comments or questions from the panel? All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, do you have any we um, have our guests? Two of our cats? Yep. Yes. Welcome here. So I'd like to bring them up um, and introduce them. They both help lead our CAPT. Our CAPT is small, uh, but mighty. I think we're getting a lot done. Um, and I know they want to share more with you. Uh, sure. Um, my name is Lauren Cipriano, as Donna said. Um, I'm the president of the CAPT and have been for oh, God, several years. Several years. <laughs> um, but first, I want to make a shout out to Donna. Um, and all the preschool is doing because my daughter is actually the one with I Want Bike. Um, she is also in the brand new access program and it has been amazing that she can stay in Canton. She can use her device to talk. Um, nothing else was working and we're actually seeing the device make a difference and the verbal, like a lot of people feel that with devices you shut off language the device actually, her hearing a voice say something back had her start talking. So she's saying things back. So I just want to make a shout out to them because I do all the work I do for the Rodman because it's such a wonderful place. Um, and the way they embrace kids with disabilities and other students is amazing. So, but. In other news, um, I'm just here to represent CAPT. Felicia and I kind of wanted to go over the program a little bit. As Donna said, we are small but mighty in comparison with other CAPs in the district because as you see, they only ha we only have about 100 kids. Um, but we're growing. Our mission basically is to help <coughs> support the inclusion and the community. Um, and we look to support and sponsor enrichment through fun, family-friendly activities um, throughout the year. Currently, looking at numbers, we have about a membership of about 40 people in the school. Um, our funds raised are about $839, so in comparison with others, it's small, but it has some carryover from last year. Um, our special projects this year are, some have already happened and some are coming up. Um, one was preschool in the park, which we hold at the beginning of school to kind of get families together, have the kids get together and play and allow to network and meet other families. Um, 
We've done Coats for Kids, which we're just closing <laughs> up right now. Um, we're planning a music event in March, and the library has been kind enough to open space for us for free to do this event because there's not a space in the Rodman that's big enough to do this. Um, and we plan to have another playground event in the fall, and one thing we do every year is a teacher appreciation lunch to give back to our teachers. So that's where a lot of our funding goes. Um, Fundraising-wise, since the start, we've been kind of been playing with ideas about different ways and the best ways to fundraise. Um, we're, we've done, we had some interesting things that happened last year with, we did a cookbook at the end of the year, and that came back wonderfully. We had all the kids um, give recipes and made a cookbook to sell to parents. Um, and we'll be looking to continue that. We just don't want to do it every year. Um, and I want to thank Felicia because she worked very hard with me to type out all of the recipes. Um, but this year we're going to be doing spirit wear and we've kind of joined up with the other caps to kind of get Canton spirit wear versus making our own t-shirts. Um, we're doing a Valentine cookie sale partnering with Blue Hills um, and a cookie decorating kit that we can sell around Valentine's Day. Um, we have a partnership with Stone Love and Pizza and plan to do a restaurant night, and they've been very generous to us in the past. Um, and we're planning on hopefully doing a candle sale for Mother's Day. Um, we didn't do a lot of fundraising this fall um, due to feedback from parents, so we're really jumping on it right now. Um, and then I wanted Felicia to speak about Pride and Accomplishments. Hi, I'm Felicia Romaine, um, or Gomes, Felicia Gomes, and I have a four-year-old at the Rodman as well, and to piggyback on um, what Donna and Lara mentioned about the Rodman, my son, when he started last school year, was his first year, he started um, just sign language, doing sign language, maybe about 20 signs, and now he's like, complete doing complete sentences he also um, uses the pegboard as well and um, they also send it some home so we can work with him at home with it and it's been amazing um, so I can speak to that um, those the AACs definitely don't hinder but actually like you know encourage them to use their language more um, being part of the CAPT has been amazing with my first year, um, I am the vice president and like the social media person. Um, so, you know, in this day and age, that's where you got to go for marketing. But just to speak on a couple of things, last year we did do a lot. This year, our biggest um, event was the preschool in the park. It was a huge hit. We had, I don't know, over 40 um, um, people sign up for the CAPT. Um, tons of snacks and kids and they got to see each other and play with each other. Um, staff members showed up as well as um, family members bringing their siblings and things like that so it was awesome. Um, we've had the highest membership in this CAP in several years um, and we also this year just developed a Rodman CAP web page. So that's new and we put um, you know, minutes from our uh, meetings that we have online and just the upcoming events, ways you can fundraise and how you can sign up to be a member. So we're really excited about that. We also started just new um, the Room Parent Program where parents sign up to be a room parent to um, their child's classroom and they can come in and help the teacher 
um, and do several other things, read, just to volunteer, and um, that's been a huge hit too. And we're just um, finishing up the Coat for Kids campaign um, January 8th, and we're in an association with Anton's Cleaners. So that's been really fun, um, and we're hoping to do more coming up. I just wanted to speak finally to the key contributors. Um, like Felicia said, she's our vice president and handles all of our social media and jumps on whenever I ask her to, helps with fundraising. Um, Carly Cushman has signed up and done finance for us and also jumped up with um, fundraising events. And Megan Healy Clancy actually jumped in this year and started the Room Parent Committee. And she's kind of taken that on as her baby and developing it. And it looks like Felicia said, a little different at the preschool. Mm -hmm. We're not doing like collections for the teachers and all of that, but it's more like behind the scenes because there are already a lot of bodies in those classrooms. Mm -hmm. So it's more behind the scenes helping the teachers out. And I think it's going pretty well so far. So it's a new little baby. Um, and I also wanted to shout out to Mrs. O'Leary one of the teachers at the Rodman for joining our CAP meetings and um, volunteering to step up and do things. Um, lastly, open spots. We're always searching. We're in need of a secretary, but the difficulty with the Rodman is it's every two years. Parents are only there for two years, and then we have to elect a whole new board. So it's, it goes quickly, and that's one of the challenges we have. Um, but we have a great group right now that's going to stay with us at least through the end of this year and possibly next year and we're looking forward to bigger and better things coming from capt so thank you very much for this opportunity thank you thank you, thank you both lauren and felicia and the entire uh, rodman capt i have a couple quick questions for you and sure. the, the committee may as well um so uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to, as I mentioned earlier, um, continue to bring our CAPs in and our, our schools together is to highlight the role of volunteers because we need them. And in listening to the litany of events and activities and ways you're supporting the school, and you did um, list out your board members' names, I'm just wondering how many parents are involved in that number of events or is your team really as small and as mighty as I'm imagining. Yeah, on the captain himself, small and mighty. Small and mighty. <laughs> we have the the 40 represents the people that are signed on to our emails and things like that. Okay. Um, but the captain itself is small and mighty, and we can't get as much done as we. Yeah. I think the highest attendance at our meeting was 12. We yes. were thrilled to go double digits. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but we also realize. Parents of young children, it's not easy it's to a go to a meeting. Challenging right? times. So. so I think they do a wonderful job giving multiple ways people can get involved in our school. So. And we try to do like our meetings on Zoom, and we thought that might get parents who are trying to handle dinner and bedtime and all of that it make it a little bit easier. And it seems to have been a success that started during COVID, and we're looking to continue it because I think it makes it easier for parents to join. Well, that's fantastic, and I speak for the committee. I know I can when I say we're in awe of you, and um, the re you don't do this for the recognition, but that's part of what we wanted to do and make sure that you're here tonight because we do have to lift up folks who are um, taking all the extra time that you are to help make our schools better. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, other comments from the committee? I just wanted to echo that's a lot of activities. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
thoughtful, building culture, and then also really, um, you know, they're diverse in the different ways that people can engage. So really smart too. Thank you. One question: Is the entire board on the same two-year cycle, or do you have people that are on both years? We have people yeah. that are okay. on both. That's good. So that's good. Wonderful. All right, so as part of our recognition for you, uh, we do have a certificate, and we'd like to take a picture with you as well. We're doing that all last year, and again, I, we know you don't want the recognition, but we want to uh, recognize you. So please, please indulge us. So if you wouldn't mind just heading right down here. And Ms. Gilday as well, please join us. You go right in the middle. I will go around. <laughs> This is a certificate for both of you, and it reads, in grateful recognition for your invaluable contribution to the Canton Public Schools for distinguished service on our Canton Association of Parents and Teachers, which is what people may have been wondering. Yes. How. <laughs> yes. So thank you both. Thank you yeah. so much. Everybody ready? Yeah. Say Canton. 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 Oh, hold on. That's a good All right, thank, thank you. And you. You. this town loves its swag, so great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Thank you. All right. All right, so moving on now to our next item on the agenda that is. E, new business, and the first item is a negotiations update. So Superintendent Folan and I will provide an update on where we are today. Sure. You know, I, I don't have any prepared statements regarding negotiations. Um, I, I think I'd like to start, and if you know me, it's a little bit of my nature just to, to speak from the heart a little bit. Um, I think everyone knows that uh, negotiations has been going on uh, with the Canton Teacher Association. Uh, educators and ESPs in the, in the district uh, in conjunction with this team uh, for over a year um, and thank you folks thank you. and you know the, the as negotiations go go on uh, they're long and challenging and can be very tenuous and they can impact us all in, in different ways um, I've been in education long enough, you know, to seeing different iterations of negotiations or different things that have challenged school communities. And the one thing I will always say uh, is that there are a lot of things that happen, um, but at the very core, we are a school community and we are a very tight community, especially Canton. I've been here long enough to know that Canton has a lot of discourse that happens around issues. Uh, we saw it during COVID. Uh, we saw it during different times. I saw it during principles. Um, but nothing rocks the foundation. Uh, that is the Canton community. Um, and it's one of the reasons I've stayed here. The community has that respectful discourse, works through some of the, the tension, uh, and stays committed to the cause of our students and for one another. Um, and I think we're at that point right now with regard to negotiations where uh, you know, we're seeing that public discourse. We're, we're seeing the public impact. Um, and I just want to reassure the community that um, we are a team. We're the school leadership team. And negotiation-wise, uh, it is uh, part of the administrative team. Uh, and then uh, 
certain members of the school committee team, but there's consultation that happens here uh, all the time, and there's consultation that happens with our principals and our central office team. Um, and to be quite honest, consultation um, on, a, on a regular basis with the CTA leadership and our educators. Um, what I always like to share is we, we watch these things sometimes hit the news and hit the public in different ways. Kenton's really, I hope, uh, unique, and I know it to be true, that we have incredible respect for our educators, our ESPs, and every member of our staff, no matter the units that happen. It is genuine when we say everyone is contributing to a very important cause, which is providing the best experience for our students uh, and providing uh, the great opportunity for them to be the best that they can be and learn at the highest level and seek all opportunities they want to. All different roles that happen within that community. Um, and there's incredible respects and really, really strong relationships with the, with the educators and especially the CTA leadership. Um, and it's something we don't take lightly. We talk often. Um, and uh, that's what I think makes Canton unique. The unwavering foundation to its students, to the, the cause of uh, sticking together uh, and staying focused, and then those incredible relationships. And it, it, it's our desire as a team, and I know um, in talking with CTA leadership, it's their desire as well, to make sure that we always serve our students really well uh, and that we stay together as a community, right? And that we also maintain the relationships through navigating very difficult uh, negotiations that last over a year. So that's what I have a ton of pride in, in Canton when I talk about it and say, you know, how's it been? You've been there for a long time. That's the thing I go to. And you know what? Any institution, any community, any moments, they have like these, these moments where there's a lot of discourse and a lot of things back and forth. Um, Canton has always emerged really proud of its district. They have committed to it. Our educators are beyond committed to being here. They stay. They value it. Um, and we will get through this as well. And we will be a very strong community. We've got great things ahead. Um, we are entering this with a great commitment. And I want to talk about this group for a little bit here. They're elected officials uh, that volunteer countless hours. And they partner with us here in the, with our administrative team. Um, they are available to us. We talked about sort of what our hopes were heading, in, heading into negotiations. We're super proud of the tentative agreements that we have come, and many of them surround benefits that provide parity between the two units, Unit E and Unit A. There's leave packages, uh, paternal leave packages, that they came right out and said were really important. Uh, there was a, a shared understanding around uh, the professionalizing of the Unit E. And really those commitments are, are, are there and they're unwavering. And so someone might say, why does it take so long? Because it does, it's a process. Um, it's something that I'm learning from all the time. And when, when you have a respectful process and a back and forth, you have a number of tentative agreements. You have a number of things uh, that are in place. And then you get to a certain point where you really got to dig in and sharpen pencils and find that, that common ground on what it is. And that's what we're committed to as a team. Uh, that's been unwavering. 
there's always a willingness to listen, always think about creative ideas that are happening. Um, it's been an honor to be part of this. Our voices are heard, we hear their voices, and we try to keep students at the center of it. And when you go about negotiations, um, I'm stealing a phrase from um, you know, one of our, our uh, colleagues. There's committing com uh, com uh, competing commitments, and uh, that's the challenge, right? There's the balance of sustainability of finances, is making sure that our teachers are poised and in a great place so that we're a, a place that's very marketable and we want people to come. That we have benefit packages that reflect sort of the priorities of not our own community, but also the emerging uh, society as well. Um, and it's pragmatic, it's not what you may think it'd be. Um, all of those are, are some really uh, key elements. And I think what we have to commit to at this point is patience in the community. We are a strong team standing by one another. Um, we certainly want to make sure that there's a trusting, understanding relationship that we were going at this uh, with as much transparency as we can have. You're in negotiations, sometimes it's tough. You, you, gotta, you gotta honor that, that process. We know that some news items have been put out back and forth. Um, there's mutual understanding around that, that portion. Uh, but the bottom line for the community to know is that we are looking out for the kids, both educators, administrators, the school committee, even uh, we are in a work to rule process. And there's been understanding put out by that, by the CTA and uh, by us as a, as a school leadership team. I can tell you unequivocally, we were at a meeting today, Ms. Cummings was there and she, I, what, what we shared was this is something that is, is a reality. Um, no one wants to be in this spot. So when you're in those moments, you just do your best to listen to kids and take care of kids at the highest level. And part of it was spending an afternoon kind of working through it. And it's not just administrators and not just school committee, you know, saying what can we do. It truly is educators as well working and thinking through how they can help their students creative. I can tell you that the CTA leadership and I talk often and they've been open to saying, hey, if there's something that we have to work through or talk through, we're very much open to that because we want to wrap kids up and, and take care of them as best we can. Um, and we, that was part of our messaging. We are not letting them navigate this alone. We will be engaging some parents about what's available and what's there. Um, but that's the, that's the realm of, of where we are. Um, we're a very uh, strong team committed to the work of the, of the CTA and the respect is there. The back and forth and the, the thinking and our commitment to where we can land for some common ground and have some back and forth discussion. We're excited to do that. Um, and we're not, we're not tired. We're actually energized to get to the finish line to get an agreement because we know an agreement for the town uh, can serve really everyone well. And it's gonna take a little bit more time. I was asked today when it might be over. You know, I wish we could do it right now. Um, but we have our set meetings, we follow that process. And the one thing that we also know is that we are healing as a community, coming out of COVID, we are getting back to normal. And we empathize with sort of the impact that it may be happening on, on everyone. 
you know, we have a team that's impacted and, and talking, I'm sure members of the CTA, it's exhausting, tired, it's impacting there. There's families as such. These, these moments are tough. And the discourse is okay to happen and, and the different realities that are okay to happen. The one thing that I always take pride in in these types of moments is we stay committed to one another as a team in partnership with the CTA. We stay committed to the process. We act with urgency. We think creatively. We're open and have back and forth discussion, whether it's in session or out of session. We keep students at the center of what we're doing. We want to position all of our staff to be the best that they can be. We want to take care of our families. And at the end of this, we want to be a success story. And we want to finish the year with great momentum. We got good things happening ahead. We have the everyday experience of the students. We have strategic planning that's happening. We have the GMS building project that we're all excited about. This community loves its educators, loves its school system, appreciates its town officials and the work that happened, school committee members. We can feel appreciation from our families as administrators. That's why we come, that's why we stay. And when that will continue. And when we get to this agreement, I hope we have great celebration. I hope it's a success story. Our relationships will be strong as ever. And I hope we have momentum moving forward to do great things. So that's my from the heart talk about where we are with negotiations. Um, it's not numbers. It's not getting into that. That's within the negotiation process. It's about our students, about us as a community, and it's about our teamwork and partnership with everyone involved. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to say that uh, very similarly, uh, we have um, taken great pains, and it is difficult to uh, come to a place where we can talk in detail at all about anything that is happening within negotiations, and we do feel that the statement we um, recently put out in partnership with our um, administrative leaders does detail as much as we can say right now, so we would um, encourage anyone to uh, take a look at that, and of course, uh, we're available as much as we can be to um, talk offline about the details, remain as committed uh, to this town and bringing people back together and um, moving forward as positively as we can. Um, what I wanted to do now is just take some time because of um, some of the more personal um, conversation that's <coughs> happened to try and um, humanize this committee that is not a monolith and our human beings. So, um, so first I'd like to call and, and say and ask for understanding, patience, and kindness. Um, because the integrity of the school committee, like I said, has been called into question, and there seem to be some very wide misinterpretations of what our intentions or motivations are, um, I'm gonna set some context for my myself, speaking as one member and not as the chair. Um, <clears throat> so I came into this role after having served as a room mom, a capped elementary school event organizer, circus, you've often heard me talk about that, 
a mom's club member and volunteer, a school council member, and someone who signed on to help a principal get funding for a couple of slides that she said were the dream of loose students. I say this because this is where our school committee members come from. Um, as a person who's had many blessings in my life, I have a philosophy of always giving back wherever and however I can. And if you'd like, a sh if you'd like my shirt, it's yours. Just ask any of my best friends in town. I was asked to run for this volunteer position. It was by the principal, the superintendent at the time, and the chair of the school committee. And it was for my skill set, perhaps, but also because there historically are very few people willing to step up and make the kind of commitment and personal sacrifice that is necessary um, and is required of the school committee. Everyone, and I do mean everyone, said not to do it. <laughs> Mainly because I didn't have any more time to give. I had a full-time job. I was teaching at BU and Harvard. I was the union steward at BU, SEIU 509. I was a CCD teacher. I was starting a nonprofit. I had two very involved children in the community. And um, together with my husband, I was trying to raise them, who's also a public high school teacher and as anybody else who knows, uh, fully involved himself, not only volunteering on every team that's ever needed a coach, but also helping um, to fundraise and organize and schedule every team um, that's needed to volunteer. And we've made all this happen. Now, every person on this panel has a similar story. And I say this to try to appeal to everyone's better angels. I'm honestly here to help. I'm honestly here because I care. And you see Emma over there? She's my ghost of Christmas past. She's going to be better than me, and she is better than me. But that's me. She's me. I'm you. So, you know, educators, you are called to a life of service. We are the same, too. Every day in my job, I'm always working to make a shared business and social impact to leave the world a better place than I found it, just like you. The Cannes School Committee are not paid. We don't have offices in the Rodman. We don't have ulterior agendas. As a mom and educator who is married to a teacher and a former union steward myself, please believe me when I tell you that we have always wanted to get this done. I have spent more than 1,000 hours this year on volunteer service, including the negotiations this year. I gave up working at Harvard and BU for the time, and my family misses me. Um, we spent last spring, last summer, this fall, and certainly before Christmas, all trying to get the negotiations to come to a close. We entered in wanting to lift everybody up as much as we can, and I mean <coughs> even before negotiations started. This committee was all about it. We still are because it's the right thing to do, and it's also good business. We've made um, what I believe to be an un unprecedented number of concessions in the history of our schools. We have never wanted and still do not want to drag our town into any kind of culture war. That is why we've not communicated prior to this public outcry. The school committee is not like state or federal positions. We're, not, we're meant to put politics aside. Municipal government 
is just about focusing on what's good for your community. So th that's what we do. We're unpaid volunteers who stepped up to represent everyone in this community. <coughs> and so what that means, because we have full-time jobs and we have all of these other commitments, is that we rely on our administrators who do very good research and provide us points of view on exactly where we should go. And generally speaking, um, we pay them and we trust them to guide us and manage the schools. It's not to say that we don't ask good questions and we don't ask for the research, but we ourselves are not doing that. It's our job to hire and pay people who are very, very talented. So the school committee cannot and has not been at every meeting with the union. We have trusted our administrative team to lead the way, and they have, and we have some of the best. Stephen, Mr. Marshall, who has worked tirelessly with his own team, town finance officials, um, and many others to determine what kind of funding we can offer. Ms. Zara Shannon, who has been every step of the way helping to ensure our positions lift up culture and our operations. Obviously, Mr. Fallen, Derek, who has hired, you know, who the school committee specifically, and this will be it, right? Um, we hired him, not because he's incredibly talented and he's got um, um, so, so much to offer, but because he has the relationships. If anybody knows Derek, he can reach across the table with anyone and get something done. We knew if we had Derek in our corner, this would help the town. We have a talented team. I know we have the best people guiding us. And the fact is the school committee has always, con has always consulted and we work as a team um, representing the town. We're not dictators. We can't dictate unilaterally what happens. We ultimately are working as a team toward a common good. And even in this case, um, we've consulted with the select board, the chiefs of fire and police. We have... Um, uh, <laughs> relied on experts to help us understand exactly how we can do um, the best that we possibly can for our town. So I know I'm going on, but I just, like I said, this is my, my heart from the heart statement. Um, so because of what I personally view has been careless and misinformed rhetoric, I do want to say um, that I'd like to ask anyone who's engaging in tearing down the school committee members and or our administrators and or our educators to please stop. I personally fear um, retaliation. I am concerned about my own children and their relationships with their teachers as they move ahead six in the next <coughs> six years. This is something that we all risk in service right now. I fear that our town will be taken further down the road of a culture war that's not meant to help us. I fear that we'll be torn apart. I fear that people more than anything, will not step up and make the sacrifice to serve on a committee like this in the future. And I feel powerless to stop it. I do have the hope that our town and our schools, because I know they are, filled with good salt-of-the-earth people who want to build community, will come back together. We will get this done. We're going to get there on negotiation. Uh, it may be that we need to go to a town meeting and ask for more money. It may be that some other option, which we continue to rely on, Stephen and Derek and the teams to guide us on, will be creatively um, brought to bear. We've been, as I mentioned, in consultation with many, many others 
to try to help take the high road and manage what is a very personally and professionally um, challenging situation. <coughs> so if you can please try and understand that we're working hard on this because we care, um, I'd be very, very grateful. And as I'm asking um, personally for patience and cool heads to prevail because we're not totally, totally in control of the outcome, I'm also asking for kindness. Please consider all of our families and children. Please do not tear us down or apart. Please do not interrupt our students' educational process. Please help us get there, and all I can do is ask. Beyond that, there may be many people out there right now who are paying attention and perhaps are interested in tapping in, doing this job. If you yourself or anyone you know is actually interested in serving on the school committee, please reach out to me. We are committed to seeing this through, but I, for one, can understand um, how this may be more than anybody's bargain for or can bear. And that's saying a lot, having lived through COVID, the bus crisis, masking, it all. So finally, I'm always available to anybody who maybe isn't willing to tap in, but um, if you want some questions um, to be answered, to talk, just reach out and we'll make it happen as I always do. I'm forever trying to learn and forever trying to help. Continue to do so while I'm in this role and whatever is to come. Thank you. Would anybody else like to make a comment? Ms. Halloran. Yes, thank you. Thank you for those comments. They definitely echo true for me too. I know you were speaking just for yourself. Um, so I ran for and I'm on the school committee to give back to the town of Canton, the families, the students, the teachers. As unpaid public volunteers, or as an unpaid volunteer myself and all of us, besides representing the those groups, we also represent the taxpayers of Canton. And this is important to notice that these may be families that have no children, that have children that have aged out of the school system, but regardless, we have fiscal responsibility to them to keep within the limits of what the town can afford. That means that we're looking out for four different stakeholder groups. If we were at any point to get to the point of overspending on any one of those segments that we are responsible for, that would mean cuts in other areas. For example, short-term overspending could lead to requests for tax hikes for residents, for all residents. It could also lead to a fiscal need for layoffs in the future, something that I and nobody wants. And that isn't a threat, that would possibly be a reality if we consider that position happening. Therefore, sustainability and fiscal responsibility are really the keys here in everything that we're doing. But let me go back for a second because I come from a family of educators and I have a deep, profound respect for all educators. I think I've already proved that with my background, which is actually very similar to Christiane's of being in the moms group, capped, running capped, um, starting the, the monthly teacher appreciation efforts at the JFK for CAPT during COVID times to make sure that the teachers continue to feel all the love that we possibly could give. Uh, educators are amazing and I'm in awe of their work and challenges and in a perfect world I'd like to pay them pro-athlete salaries. Of course that's not realistic 
The realistic happy medium is certainly where the educator pay amounts are at the maximum level that the town of Canton can sustainably and fiscally responsibly afford. And that information we rely on from various points of feedback um, within financial <coughs> services in our town, town administrator, director of finance, etc. So that's where we are. Switching over a little bit to when I heard about the support Canton educator yard signs, I wanted one. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I support Canton educators. I support the families. I support the children. We probably all do. That's why we're here. Why would any of us volunteer all these unpaid hours if we don't support that? Uh, unfortunately, this technique of the lawn signs and many other things that are going on are under the guise of support for educators while unfortunately in, in an act of what I believe is intended to and certainly feels like intimidation of the Canton School Committee and personal and the school leadership team perhaps I can speak for myself only and it also feels like an act of intimidation to the community into submission The same method, unfortunately, as I said, has been in various forms. It's been via email, demeaning accusations, and in person, many different ways, and has gone on for a while. It is extremely personal to everyone involved on all sides of it. It's cruel. We are all, in all aspects of this picture, everywhere. If you want to say sides, I don't like to say sides. Everyone. We are human beings. We have families who are impacted, children who are impacted, health that is impacted. And I am not just talking about the people at the table, in the audience, in the schools. I'm talking about the entire community. As chair of the Canton School Committee Policy Subcommittee, I feel it's fully fitting and unfortunately necessary to remind all to read up on the Canton Public Schools policies on harassment and bullying. I remind you that as adults, there is a much higher standard and much more at stake. We are teaching our students to never, ever harass nor bully anyone, but then over the past couple of months, there have been a lot of cases where people have become complicit in just that. These actions are not innocuous. They may come as one single form that is, that is shown, but they are playbook techniques that can and in many cases will harass and intimidate. The very volunteers trying fervently over the past year to get both teams to the table negotiating into a fair resolution for all. These are mothers, wives, workers, and devoted members of the community. What's even worse, far worse, and in fact illegal and a fireable offense, quite honestly, is to involve children as pawns in this. And I hope no one here would ever do that. 
As mentioned before, we have made strides to allow more legally allowable transparency for the school committee than has ever before been allowed. That's been a, a giant push of our group over the past couple of years. The creation of the content and communications and other efforts to work carefully with the state to see what is legally allowable so that we can have the community more informed than ever before. We have worked, all worked, many, many hours through our entire terms, but specifically over the past three weeks, through the holidays, missing time with our families to be able to provide info and more transparency to the community. Please be patient on more info coming and less critical of how much and how often. We are doing our very best. I also want to remind all that negotiation by definition involves, and I quote, some give and take. That bears reminding at this point. We have given a lot of concessions at this point. I, I believe it was printed the number. I won't requote because I, I just don't want to, in case that was not stated. Most importantly, we all want the same ending here. We want the most fair contracts possible for our educators that is fiscally sustainable for the town. The way at which we get to that end is the question and truly shows one's character. May cooler heads prevail and from now on, may both sides continue to stay at the table for a timely meetings of negotiation and or mediation. We have been bargaining in good faith since December 2021 and will continue to do so and hope to see progress on the true meaning of negotiation very soon because everyone would benefit. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Is anyone else on uh, at this panel like to speak? I'm gonna make a very short comment. I, for one, is um, the last member to join this committee and I have been in awe and respect of what I have seen happening behind closed doors. I can speak for myself in saying that we have been pushing and working very hard as a team and myself included to get the best benefits, options, opportunities, the support that we want to provide, the most progressive that I have seen to support some of the community members and educators that are part of our Canton community. I think about this all the time. I have two young children. We are modeling how the conversation will continue with respect. I only call out for respect. I think that we can disagree and we can have conversations, but we cannot forget that we are the ones modeling and leadering, being the leaders to our young, young community. And I, I do think that at a very human and personal level, I worry every day of what is the consequence for my <coughs> children and for the children of others attending the schools and what has been misinformed and some of that we cannot correct based on the law that guides our, our, our committee and what we can say. We are pushing, I am a very progressive, open-minded 
myself individual and I want to share and be honest and transparent and we're working to share as much as we possibly can. We want to talk to you, I want to talk to you, I want to listen to what your concerns are and we have been doing that and sharing internally as much as we possibly can to make sure that we get to an agreement. I do have hope. I work full time. I've worked through the holidays. I've lost sleep many nights of thinking, what can we possibly do to get to this agreement move forward? What, what, can, what else can we do? And we're at the table. We haven't said no. We haven't walked away. I just want everyone to hear that we want this to move forward. And you have our commitment. You have my commitment to show up at all kinds of time, hours of the day. It doesn't matter. We've done everything as much as we possibly can. Um, so that's just something that I, I know that I am the newer member of this committee. I want to continue to be part of this, but it has been very hard at our families, at my family, and at myself. Ms. Okay. Moran, would you like to go? Okay. <clears throat> as the longest serving member on this committee, um, I've actually been part of negotiations for the past four years. Uh, so I was there when we were discussing the MOU and the MOA, and I still don't remember which one we wound up calling it. Um, but it's given me insight. I think we all saw through COVID what teachers are doing. It was a whole new level of understanding for me, and I, the respect is, actually, as you said, would love to pay the superstar athlete rates. My background isn't communications. You know, as maybe some of you remember, a few years ago, I, it was attributed to me that I personally had an agenda to cancel a dance at one of the elementary schools. It wasn't true. I didn't have that agenda. But I had a lot of people that hated me for it. And ironically, I still have people coming up to me now loving me for it. And none of it was true. So I'm sitting here now in this moment with this perspective and the finance background and saying it's time for us to be people and put politics aside. I want teachers to get the best contract they can. I want Unit E to have the best contract we can. Sitting in that room throughout the winter and spring of last year and listening to all of the stories and the impassioned pleas about ways that we could make a difference in the culture in order to professionalize Unit E. It spoke to us. I particularly remember, Ms. Arbolita, some of your reactions around the parental leave. And this committee was full force on board. Some of what we've proposed on the parental leave is on the cutting edge of what's offered in the state. And that's because we care and we think it's the right thing to do. Um, we have, we know that, we know that things aren't perfect. You know, we know that if we go too far in any one direction, cuts need to be made in other areas. We are sensitive to that. We brought in the mediator because we realized we were still in a very stable situation but we weren't making enough progress. And that if we didn't bring in the mediator, we didn't know how far it would go. With Mr. Marshall intact, I think we're in good shape. Um, I 
I think the thing that I really, I just want to focus on, you know, knowing it can't be all financial, we have taken steps to expand other opportunities and benefits, um, particularly leaned into a pathway for Unit E to gain certifications and education in order to move into Unit A. Um, and that's something that Assistant Superintendent Shannon can speak very eloquently on. We're actively looking for ways to support people where they are and where they want to go. You know, and I know I'm painting this in a rosy light, and it seems like you're only hearing this side. Why hasn't the offer been accepted? I can't speak for other people. I don't know the answer to that. Um, what I can say is that, you know, We've placed a priority on modifying certain practices that are within the school that are a little bit outside of the norm within districts in our area. My school teacher in-laws have always had to seek exceptions. Um, my brother-in-law got married on a Columbus Day weekend and she had to get an exception in order to take a day. From what I can tell, this is something that we have had a hard time moving past it's something that we've made repeated proposals to try and adjust some of the language. This is one of the things that's still up for discussion. Um, and I'm not gonna go any farther <laughs> on discussing that component. I don't want to paint one side, but if there is a desire to hear from the CTA as well, those questions have to go to the CTA. We will never post something that somebody else said. That's not something that we are capable of doing. So everything that we say necessarily is from our side. Um, and I can say from me personally, being on this committee for five years, being on the finance committee for five years before that, these people care about our town. I care about our town. Our teachers care about our town. We are all here for the same reason. Let's get this done. We can finish this. Thank you. Thank you. Would anybody else like to speak? I would. Ms. Cummings. Um, first, I understand this is a difficult situation for all involved. As a student representative for the Canton Public Schools, I am fortunate enough to be sitting here with you tonight. I have the opportunity to help be the voice of the student body to help our message be heard. What we want is our teachers back in the classrooms as soon as possible. This is having an impact on all involved. For example, high school students are no longer able to come early or stay late to work with their teachers past the contracted hours, which are 7.45 to 2.45, leaving only 15 minutes before and after the bells. I'm asking the school committee and the teachers union to go about these negotiations as swiftly and thoroughly as possible while maintaining respect and civility on both sides. This resolution will help us return to our normal school activities and allow us to continue on our paths of growth and success within the Canton public school system. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Would anybody else like to speak? All right, this has, been a, this has been a while, but I do appreciate the time and attention. Um, if anybody has given it to us at all, because we are honestly uh, doing the best we can to try to bring everyone together. That is the intent here. We are one town. 
and we're only better when we're focused on the needs of our town, our students, our teachers, our educators, each other. All right. Uh, and with that, let's move on to the next item on the agenda, which is E2, our fiscal 24 budget rollout. Mr. Marshall is here to present to us the first read of the FY24 budget. Mr. Marshall. Thank you. Um, so I just want to start by kind of laying out the, the budget process and, um, and the, the Canton process. Um, we are very early on in, uh, in the school year and we're planning for our FY24 uh, budget. There is, there was just a change in the governor's office that I believe everybody is aware of. Typically we see a governor's budget get released um, at the end of January and we are aware now that um, the governor will not release the budget as of right now until March 1st. Um, that's the earliest that we believe that budget to be released. So there are still some unknowns and so there is going to be multiple iterations and, and we could be further delayed than a typical process in Canton um, in getting our um, real allocation uh, from the Finance Committee. Um, so I just want to put that out there that, you know, this, what we talk about tonight is really all of the requests that have come in uh, and, and we expect that there will be uh, multiple changes um, throughout the process. Uh, this is a, a collaborative process. These requests are not just coming from central office. Uh, these requests come from the building level up um, and so you, we're, we're going to talk about, this is every request that, um, that the administrative team uh, received. Um, we have already put forward uh, a superintendent's budget that does show some cuts um, from um, all of the requests, um, but it's still uh, what I would say, uh, you know, um, a wish list, um, you know, of, of items. Um, and we totally understand that uh, likely we will need to trim uh, from here. Um, so I'm going to read through uh, each of the items and then uh, we will uh, go through uh, the items that, um, that we have uh, not moved forward at this point. Uh, the Finance Committee has met twice and, 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 um, and done some initial review of this, and then we can open up to, to any questions. This is just the first read. Uh, we have a, a second read uh, scheduled for the following uh, meeting, um, so if there's anything that we need to you know, get into deeper, we can do that. We also have some other people that are here um, that, are, uh, that can help to speak to some of the items, and so we'll talk about that when we get to those points. And then if we want to invite them down, maybe after uh, we finish um, to talk, we can, we can do that. Yeah, do you mind if I just jump in? Sure. In framing it for the, the community, I think what's really important, when, when we take in requests, um, we honor requests that come in. Uh, so sometimes when they're not moved over to the superintendent's budget, it just requires maybe some more planning. Um, it may be something for future years. Sometimes it, it's something that we're ready to, to launch on and, and think about. And sometimes a particular request has broader impact, and that's what Mr. Marshall was talking about. We have a few items that allow us for uh, some broader impact within either a particular school or across the district. Uh, so we've always used the first and second read. First read's really to go through the numbers and, and go through the items. Uh, sometimes at the end of this and or the second read, we'll get a little bit more into the details of what the broader impact is. What I think is really important, what's sound when we're budgeting, um, one, these are ideas that come from our, our family and staff feedback forms. 
We think about current needs uh, within the district for students, new laws that may be in place, right? And what's really, really important as a district is that they're aligned to district goals and, and long-term planning. And when we did our district goals, we set up our four pillars, which uh, Mr. Marshall is gonna go through, which is achieving educational excellence and equity for every student, cultivating climate and culture and community engagement, achieving educational excellence through effective teaching, learning, and leading, and then uh, effective management and operations. So when we bucket this and have alignment and when we take in requests, we do ask uh, our folks to consider where does it align with our district goals? Where does it align something along the lines of feedback or what's that link of piece of data uh, for, for student outcomes that we need? Uh, is there a law in place? Is there a shift that happens? Is there something that you see in your building um, systematically that, that needs attention and benefit? So with that, I want to turn it back over to Mr. Marshall. That's how it's framed. And as a school community, school leadership team, the charge is always to make sure that your budgeting is aligned to your pillars and your, your district goals and your long-term strategic planning. Mr. Marshall. Yeah, and with that, you know, many of these items can fall between multiple um, of the buckets. And so you, you might see it in a place and you think, well, that really aligns somewhere else. And we agree um, sometimes. And so we might make some changes. But the reality is a lot of these requests fall under, um, you know, many of the buckets. And so uh, we, we align them the best that we can. And that might also change throughout the process. Um, so under achieving educational excellence and equity for every student, um, the total requests here were 853,000. Um, we had a request for an additional pre-K classroom. Um, we heard from uh, the, the pre-K program um, tonight. Uh, it is a growing program and, um, and we are closely uh, monitoring this. Um, we get data in, in terms of potential students that might be coming to us and we have to plan. So um, some of this is, is a bit of an unknown and we'll work through that over um, the, the coming months. But this is a request for one classroom teacher and one educational assistant uh, at the pre-K level. We had a request uh, from the high school um, for an English teacher. Um, this was um, a request ultimately uh, to help reduce um, some class size at the high school. And I think uh, the next item, um, which Mr. Sperling might talk about tonight or we might get to at a later time, um, is really around the semesterization um, and, and a change. So that next item is, is the request was for a 1.4 FTE in wellness. Um, the ask is, is much bigger than just a wellness teacher, um, and it really helps to unlock the schedule and, and do some, some different items. Uh, there is uh, additional information within the packet um, at the end. Um, so we think that that might help as well, um, potentially with some class size. There was a request at the loose uh, for in EA, uh, and that was is due to a cohort that we have that's coming up. Um, uh, a five-section um, cohort, and so that was that request for an additional EA to, to stay with that cohort uh, um, throughout. There was a request for uh, elementary world language teacher. Um, 
and we've had a lot of conversation about world language and, um, and, and kind of adding at our elementary level. Um, so that request was a minimum of a 1.0 FTE to be split across the three elementary schools, um, but ideally the request would be 3.0, an individual um, world language teacher at each of the three elementary schools. Uh, there's a request for the Galvin uh, world language teacher. Uh, currently, this is a 0.8 position, and so the request is to bump that 0.8 position to a full 1.0 position. Um, and that would really help provide um, continuity of programming and, um, and just help provide some additional supports throughout, uh, throughout the day and, and, and throughout that uh, schedule. We have a request uh, for an elementary therapeutic program. Um, over the last few years, we've added a therapeutic program at both the middle school and the high school. Uh, so uh, this would be a progression of that um, in our younger grades. Um, and <coughs> it would, I don't have it here. I have it back on the other page in terms of exactly what that is. It would be two special education teachers and one school adjustment counselor. At the GMS, uh, we have a request for a special education teacher. Uh, this is for uh, that therapeutic program. Currently, we have 13 students enrolled in that program. Um, that is more students than what we um, certainly planned for at the, during the creation of, of that program. Um, and so it really, there really is a need there um, for an additional uh, special education uh, teacher um, to help support that program at that size. And we do expect that um, number um, to continue um, through the next few years. Under cultivating climate, culture, and community engagement, uh, we have a request for elementary school bus monitors. Um, it's a request of $75,000. I will say that that is somewhat of an educated guess as to what the cost would actually be. We have 18, uh, 19 buses that are running, um, and so uh, the request would be for a monitor on every um, elementary uh, route. That would also allow the potential um, for us to expand that. The request was from the elementary level, um, but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't be able to expand that to different uh, levels. So just put that out there. Um, there's a request for a multi-language learner coordinator um, to help support the entire district. Uh, we have seen a large increase in um, our ML population uh, within the district, and there is um, a need for some supervisory um, support um, for our multi-language uh, teaching staff. Uh, some of these other items, and, and we'll, we'll touch on some of them here, we'll touch on some of them in a different um, area, but uh, increase in supplies and services line, we've talked about this. Um, so uh, graduation expenses um, continue to, to rise, and, um, and some of this is really uh, in an effort to help uh, really come to what we're actually spending within our budget lines um, that that are somewhat inaccurate. We really are just held to uh, managing the bottom line of our budget. And so at times, because of that, we're um, spending over in specific areas, underspending in other areas in order to make up for those differences. And so uh, it's it's really just been a, a, a between Michelle Gobi and I to try to align this and, and really um, get our line items um, uh, in order. And so that is uh, the reason for, all, for many of these requests, in addition to inflation um, and in cross, increase in costs that we're seeing for, um, for supplies. 
uh, $10,000 request for special education supplies and services. Uh, I believe last year we added a pilot program uh, at the middle school for athletics and um, started a cross country team there that was very successful. Uh, we have uh, since added uh, uh, boys and girls basketball as well as cheerleading that is happening at the middle school. And because of that for um, coaching costs, um, very small uniform costs, and then transportation costs to go to away games, um, we're asking for uh, an additional $15,000 to support that uh, GMS athletic line. Talked a lot about uh, um, SEL, social emotional uh, learning curriculum. And um, so there is a request here um, to provide uh, tier one instruction in social emotional learning for all of our students. Um, and uh, there's a, uh, they're well underway in terms of, of determining um, exactly what that curriculum might be and uh, at a cost of $45,000. This next item uh, is, is for a stipend to help um, with detention at the middle school um, and to really help um, uh, implement some of the restorative uh, practices that um, you know, all of our educators and um, administrators are, um, are learning um, now. And so to help implement some of those practices in, um, in a better way, uh, a stipend um, for this we believe would, would really help um, uh, for detention at the middle school. One note on that one, it's mentioned in the, the write-up. There was a shift in 37 H and three quarters and there's an expectation that we have levels of restorative practices and engagement with students. So when I talked earlier about being in line with the law, this is an example of that. And I, I thank Principal Mulhern for bringing it forward and sharing it. Um, detention can be much more dynamic than maybe what we experienced growing up and it can be much more lasting um, but uh, it, it also aligns with the law thank you um, next is under achieving educational excellence through effective teaching learning and leading um, there's a total of eight hundred and seventy two thousand um, dollars in requests here uh, one of our our I think largest um, requests and something that um, I know that since I've got here, uh, you know, we have been talking about um, is the addition of assistant principals at the elementary level. Um, through this, this request is for a full um, 3.0, uh, 1.0 at each of the elementary schools. And uh, this would allow us to do some other things on uh, the student services side, as it would, uh, there would be some changes in uh, our current team chair model. And so there is um, a chart here uh, that kind of lays that out. Um, and um, Mrs. Byrne is here and, and can certainly speak to that um, as well, uh, if we would like. We also have been talking about, and um, this is uh, an ask of uh, a 1.0 at both the middle school and the high school uh, for a math interventionist um, to really just uh, support um, uh, both our, our educators and, um, and our students um, and, and really help uh, to bring our, our, our teaching and learning to the next level. Um, some other supplies items uh, that I talked about, um, technology, software, and supplies. These are really um, contractual increases in a lot of the technology software that we use. Um, uh, so that is an increase uh, request of 35,000. Um, elementary supplies, so this is uh, across um, multiple buildings. World language supplies, 
visual art supplies and uh, performing art supplies. Uh, minimal uh, request here, but uh, really to bring those lines um, up to uh, actual spending and to um, provide a little bit um, increase for inflation. Our uh, district curriculum materials, last year was the first year that we added a, a curriculum materials line. We'd always have a textbooks a textbook line in the budget. Uh, it was a $25,000 line. Um, I can tell you $25,000 does not go far for textbooks. Um, if you've ever taken a college course and had to purchase a textbook, um, it's very similar in terms of costs. Uh, and so um, that was not sufficient. Canton had relied on the capital um, side of, of the budget to really help support uh, curriculum materials. And um, it, it's certainly a belief of mine that we need to continue to move these items into the operating budget. They are operating budget. They are not one-time expenses. Um, and as we see a shift from the typical um, textbook that goes everywhere with you to more um, uh, hybrid combination of uh, text and digital learning, uh, these become more subscription-based, where in the past you could spend um, you know, a decent amount of money on a text, and that text was going to last you, say, 10 years. In some cases, uh, in Canton, we've had texts that are lasting us 15 to 20 years. And so as we move to that subscription type of service, it's a yearly cost as opposed to a cost that's only going to hit every 10 to 15 years. Um, and so that really uh, requires us to think about this on a yearly basis as opposed to that capital planning, which might happen um, you know, over the course of time. We have a request for tutors. Um, we have talked about utilizing um, some of our ESSER, current ESSER funding um, to begin tutoring. Um, very soon and so uh, this is uh, a request that would help um, maintain that um, after um, ESSER funds are depleted and uh, and keep those uh, programs um, happening. Uh, district uh, purchase services uh, so th this is for uh, contractual services consultants um, at the, the district central office level um, whether it's uh, PR um, uh, legal counsel fees, um, so just an increase in, in those items. Um, uh, you know, five and ten-year capital planning. Um, there's there's always a need that we are reaching out um, to uh, uh, contracted services to help uh, support us, and so this would just help to raise that amount. You mentioned some of them. A lot of them in, in the description are really instructionally based. Um, we've introduced a new curriculum. Um, and there's consultancy and work and support for our staff uh, around that that's really embedded in that. Um, so I just, the ask is really more of an adjustment for um, some of the professional learning and consultancy that happens uh, around our district goals around instruction and curriculum and implementation. Thank you. No problem. Um, there's a request for uh, a GMS late bus uh, specifically for um, the Galvin. Currently, um, the late bus uh, provides service for both the middle school and the high school. Having a dedicated late bus for the middle school, um, we believe would help for um, both creating more opportunities at the middle school after school programming, um, additional support, and, um, and could help with some behavioral um, issues as well. Uh, very small line uh, for a request for professional development supplies at the district level. And moving on to, to management and operations, um, 
our district uh, contractual obligations. Um, so we do have five uh, bargaining units. Um, three of them are AFSME uh, units, our custodial food service um, and administrative assistance units, uh, personal service contracts, <coughs> and then um, our unit A and unit E um, staff. Uh, so we take what we know at this time, the budget process can't halt, um, and, uh, and we, we make our best um, estimate um, in order to project out our costs for contractual obligations at this time. Last year we put forward a request for uh, some H an HR generalist. Uh, there's been lots of discussion around that and ultimately um, after doing some interviewing through the process, uh, we determined that we didn't think that that was going to be a, the sufficient support that the district needed um, from an HR management um, uh, standpoint. So we're asking for an additional $41,000 um, to help support uh, HR management uh, within the district. And uh, they, there will be more to come in, in the future in terms of um, exactly what that might look like. Uh, contractual increase on our um, bus contract um, uh, is, is expected. Um, these next two items are, are big. Um, we talked about out-of-district tuition and the Operational Services Division, OSD of Massachusetts, um, that has, um, that oversees um, increases here for private special education program tuitions um, that are ultimately purchased by a municipality. And they have set a 14% inflation factor um, to go into effect uh, July 1 uh, for private school tuitions. Um, we have estimated that to be uh, somewhere between seven dollars and $800,000 in, um, in additional tuition costs. Um, you see here there's a $450,000 ask. Um, this would be a phased-in approach to the operating budget over a few years. Uh, we are fortunate to have um, a, a healthy balance right now in our special ed reserve account. Um, and some carryover circuit breaker funds, which we would help next help would help us next year to offset those additional anticipated increases. Um, but uh, we would we need to start building our operating budget in order to um, assume those additional costs. This is a, could I pause there for a moment? Yeah. This is this is a, a topic uh, that you may read about in the newspaper because it, it's affecting every single district. It's a unilateral move. Uh, by the Operational Services Division. Um, it was, as superintendents, we are advocating uh, with our legislators and working in conjunction with MASS, uh, which is a Superintendents Association, to try to think about different creative ways. Because that 14% increase, uh, that does not reflect like an additional number of students. That's a straight tuition increase. Uh, that was a unilateral move that every public school is subjected to. Uh, our level of service uh, for students is in place and we cannot waver on that. Um, in our second read, we'll likely provide a little bit more in-depth information with regard to that. It'd be a lot for tonight. Um, but it, it's something that uh, every district is facing. It's, it's unique. Commissioner Riley, um, all the folks involved uh, know that it, for, for many districts, it's a um, has to be included in a budget, and we're fortunate to be positioned to do the best we can to handle it and phase it in. Uh, but it is a major factor uh, that's out there uh, that we don't entirely have control of. 
Thanks. Uh, so similar out of district um, uh, transportation, uh, this is our VN transportation. Um, there's a lot of variability in, in, in these costs. Um, the costs are typically very specific to the routes, um, depending on where they're going, how far they're going. Um, and so in some cases, we've seen increases of up to 20% for, uh, for specific routes. Um, uh, rising fuel costs, um, you know, through last year, um, uh, difficulty in, um, in vendors uh, <coughs> obtaining vehicles and new vehicles um, has really um, driven costs up. Uh, and so that is a request there of $300,000. And lastly, um, a uh, increase to our um, nursing supplies line. I believe that these are um, lines in the budget that have not been increased um, for multiple years. Um, I actually believe they were decreased at one point and are, have not been um, brought back up to levels. That's the case with a lot of our supplies lines in our budget. They were decreased um, in that 2007 to 2010 um, range uh, where we saw school budgets really taking a hard impact and, um, and we haven't seen those uh, supplies lines increase. Um, following you know COVID, uh, the demands of our nurses um, have uh, you know drastically increased um, supplies. Um, there's a potential for us to um, to be needing to purchase um, uh, tests um, and um, you know items that have been provided to us through grant funding, um, but now are reality. Um, and we might need to to, um, to maintain. And so uh, that is a that $12,000 number um, would be split across um, all of the buildings. So those are all of the requests. Um, I will quickly highlight the items that um, at this point we have not moved forward um, because I think they're just important to note and then we can certainly open up for, um, for conversation and um, additional uh, discussion around any uh, major items. Um, so the preschool um, teacher and EA we have not moved forward again um, you know these are uh, special education type of, of requests and expenses um, if it is something that we're mandated and required to do we will certainly do them um, but we need a little bit more information <coughs> at this point uh, physical space um, also um, and the current layout of the Rodman is, is um, uh, impacts uh, some of that decision too um, in terms of just adding another classroom uh, where we're at capacity at the lower level of the Rodman and so an additional classroom would need to happen on a different floor within the building um, and that poses challenges as well so we need to really kind of be thoughtful and, and think through that um, uh, the High school English teacher, uh, you know, we have run the class sizes um, across, uh, you know, all of our departments at the high school, um, and so we do believe that our our class sizes at the um, for our English department um, are um, acceptable and, and, and okay at this point. And then again, that next item that um, uh, we have it was a request of 1.4 uh, wellness teacher. We've moved forward a 1.0, um, not a 1.4. We do believe we would be able to get done what we need to with the 1.0, um, but that uh, we need to see that happen and see uh, the, the changes there um, to really evaluate our class size. Um, the loose EA uh, position, um, we, have, uh, we have not moved forward. Um, again, that's a regular education um, ask. It, it's, it's not a special education um, request, and, and we do think that we have sufficient supports um, at our third, fourth, and fifth grade levels. 
uh, elementary bus monitors. Uh, we have not moved forward the, the full $75,000 amount, but we have moved forward $25,000. Uh, we do believe that would allow us to get started um, and uh, this request was of the district uh, we are working uh, with our current bus vendor um, that um, could employ the monitors um, and so it would take the burden off of the district in terms of uh, employing more staff and uh, and they would um, would manage that uh, it would not um, provide a monitor for every single bus, uh, but it would provide a monitor at the discretion of the administration um, to determine which routes um, monitors uh, would be on. We have not moved forward the elementary world language um, teachers um, at this time. Uh, while we do believe in this and, and we fully support the idea, we, we do believe we need some more time to, uh, to work with our elementary schools to determine how this best would work. The multi-language learner coordinator, we do not have moved forward. Um, that uh, is dependent upon what ultimately happens with the assistant principals. Um, if the assistant principals are fully funded, um, this multi-language <coughs> learner coordinator um, would still happen, um, but through the redesign and, and reorganization of the student services uh, model, and we can talk about that more. The therapeutic program at the elementary school, we have not moved forward. Um, again, I think we need to do some more planning around this. Um, physical space is also um, a concern um, at the elementary uh, level. And the last uh, item that is not moved forward at this point is the middle school only um, late bus. Um, but uh, I do believe that we can work with our vendor um, in order to uh, to help provide some additional services, at least increase um, from uh, three times a week to possibly four times a week, and to help um, to work out some scheduling um, with uh, with our routes um, that would have minimal uh, financial impact. And we're working with our uh, transportation consultant right now to help. Um, assist us through that process. Um, so I, I do believe we would be able to do something. It's not going to uh, be a budget impact. So with that, Mr. Follin, if you have anything that you want to add, um, I'm happy to take questions or invite others down. I would just like to say thank you to Michelle Gobi. She is here tonight. Um, I know I say often, but without her help and support, this work does not happen. Um, so uh, thank you to her and the rest of our team in the business office. And likewise to you, Mr. Marshall, and to the finance subcommittee, Mr. Moran, Ms. Gallagher. Um, we always have this opportunity to go through and, and come back with some different ideas uh, back and forth, but we certainly would uh, want to open it up for first read. This is, we're going to have multiple iterations. I don't want to say we're going to have five or six reads, but the reality is we could have multiple reads here, get our number from the town, come back, have to look at things, get our number from the state, and ultimately prepare for town budget. So when we talk about this being preliminary, um, it, it, it truly is. And, uh, you know, we're open to some ideas. We also have Mr. Sperling. Uh, available uh, mr Sperling, if you wouldn't mind coming down just in case because that semesterization uh was something that opened my idea my eyes uh and it really has uh, a ripple effect in that building in, in a really positive way uh, we also have miss Byrne available to talk about uh the restructuring uh possibilities 
for student services as a result of the uh, assistant principals. So I will turn it back to the chair, but if it's all right, we have a few oh, yeah, guests please. that can probably share some ideas here. Absolutely. Thank you. Hi. Welcome, Mrs. Sperling. Would you like to share some ideas? See you all. Sure. Um, so, in short, and again, it probably warrants a, a deeper conversation at some point. But um, the current schedule that we have now has just several outliers that really make it challenging to schedule around. Um, and the main impact that that has is it really blocks entire class periods for students. Um, that happens in all four grades. So, with those not full-time classes, they take up a full-time class period because we don't have many other classes that can fit and kind of make that puzzle become whole. So what ends up happening is students have to take those classes, certain wellness classes as requirements, um, and they end up with studies usually on the other side as they rotate through. Um, we have a couple of science classes, just two, that have this floating lab period um, that meets a couple of days a cycle for one semester. But that then blocks off that entire class period because we don't then have something else that revolves around that. Um, this isn't a common schedule. <laughs> I've asked many of my counterparts in other districts. Um, and I think for that reason that it really does lock up what the kids can take. So the main department that is in that structure now is our wellness department. There are several other areas where um, that's kind of on that summary that, that fit in there as well. And, and it's, it's kind of chasing our tail to try to balance a student schedule. And, and one of the pieces of feedback that I heard since day one and continue to hear from students is that they want the opportunity to take more classes. Um, if we go to a system where all classes are full time within a semester, that would open up those opportunities on the other end. Um, it is an impossible puzzle to try to fit some of those not full-time classes together. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and that's not an issue of staffing. We have sufficient staffing. It's just the way that <coughs> things kind of line up and revolve. There's just no way to build those schedules that way. Uh, Dr. Chamberlain has a really, really good handle on this, and she's helped sort of provide some data, some sample schedules, just to show what that difference would mean for a sample ninth grade student, a sample 11th grade student, um, a student that has uh, special education services, a student that is in multiple AP classes. So we have access to all of those different templates in a comparative way that we can see what our current model looks like. And then if we transition to this semesterization model, which isn't a real word, I'll continue to use it because I like it and I think it makes sense, but don't try to look it up. You're right, it fits. Um, so we'll, go, we'll coin that phrase here tonight. Um, the semesterization model really just allows things to be very predictable and you can build everything else around those without these sort of outlying classes that really take away from an entire block within the schedule. Um, some of the pieces that we hear too were, and I know some work was done prior to my arrival and before COVID, looking at our master schedule and, and seeing if it was the best fit for our students. Um, this really gives us a good step in that direction. I'm fairly confident that what we'll find is that the schedule, the setup that we have, the length of classes um, is not the problem. I think if we can remove some of these outlying classes that really hamstring kids' options, I think we might find that the schedule we have is, is pretty good. Um, one of the common ads that's out there now is adding a flex block um, that students have the opportunity to 
see teachers for extra help, um, use it as a study if that's what they need, um, ways to get really creative with that um, that is not an additional teaching assignment for teachers. Um, it's truly a drop everything. The entire school is in this um, flex period. Um, that would also allow us to really reduce or eliminate studies, which I know has been a, a big push. Um, this schedule that we're currently in, too, sometimes has kids taking up to nine studies within a, a seven-day rotation, um, which, in my opinion, is excessive. But by default, there aren't other classes that they can take opposite those smaller sections, so that's the only place that they can land. Um, so the hope would be while we really take a hard look at our master schedule, um, and we've got some good data already to take a look at, this semesterization step would really be necessary for us to look at adding that flex block in the future. Um, and there's some easy fixes in terms of just throwing it as an eighth period and keeping our waterfall. There's other ways to look at it as an eighth period and then extend it to an eight-day cycle. Right now we're a seven by seven which I think is, is great. You know, uh, the data would show us that the length of class periods is exactly where they should be. It's a nice sweet spot. There's that long block that's built. Schools build those for lab periods specifically. Um, and for kids to really engage in, in maybe more group work projects, things like that. So that's all intact. So when we look at what most schools are looking to add or, or to transition to, we're pretty close. We're actually really close. Um, I think this would be a huge step in that direction. And what looks like an ad for wellness is really to add that piece will unlock all of our other departments. Um, we have some scenarios now where students aren't able to take orchestra. Um, they have to take it on an every other day basis and maybe only first semester. Uh, this would eliminate that. Um, you know, looking to add other sections of classes and, and give kids other opportunities. Um, this would allow kids, currently kids can only take um, a maximum of eight semester classes um, within the requirements that they have, and that's not including the, the new math requirement. This would open that up to 12. Uh, which is a substantial increase for kids being able to take the classes that they really want and in some instances need. Um, so for that one addition, that one FTE, it really does open up all those pathways. That's, that's um, very helpful and to me uh, makes perfect sense. I wonder if Ms. Cummings, will you have a feeling, a point of view on a semesterization model? Um, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I definitely hear a lot of, like, I wish I could do this, or, you know, I'm very involved within performing arts, so I hear the, oh, I can't do this, I'm taking this, I wish I could do this. Um, so that sounds like it would be a great opportunity for students to really explore different classes, um, especially when thinking about their futures. Absolutely. As, as we talked about it, because we previewed it, I said, it, to me, it reminds me of reverse Jenga. You're basically making all the blocks of hours the same so yep. that you can fit more yes. in as, a, yep. as opposed to like a Jenga exactly. situation, I mean, not a Jenga, a Tetris yep. situation we may have been in with time before. So the idea that there would be more options for students, yeah. how can that be bad? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm very excited about that and thank you for taking this on and figuring that out. Sure. I think it will be a game changer. Are there other comments or questions? I would just like to thank you and Dr. Chamberlain. Um, she's come year after year, and it is really impressive the direction that our high school has gone. So well done. Thank, thank you. you. I have a question, but not related to this topic, but to the budget. So um, all right, let me know. 
point. Well, thank you. Great. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. Okay. So thank you for being with us sure. tonight. So um, certainly I had a chance to preview this in, as part of the finance subcommittee um, review of it. And I will share with you what my first reaction was. I, I'm not in favor of prioritizing wellness over English teacher. But in terms of what the challenge of the, um, the schedule is, does it have something to do with, you know, we require PE and wellness of our students, yeah. four years of both. So my question is how much of that is we're, we're doubling up those requirements. And so I'm not quite sure how adding um, a wellness teacher is the key to everything when the question is do we, and I brought this to the committee before, you know, we, we require above and beyond of our students. I mean, by law, it's a year of PE, so that's certainly that, whatever time they can't make the decision to have wellness and PE, but I'm wondering if, with, with the best of intentions, we may have hamstrung our students who, by requiring wellness and PE. Yeah, so historically, wellness is PE and health, mm -hmm. and that's what we have. What we end up having now is they run as two separate courses, but both three days per seven day cycle. This would combine those into what is a most traditional wellness class, where kids on a rotating daily basis within that one semester are meeting both requirements, which is the wellness requirement. Um, so they're getting their health component, they're getting the social emotional learning, they're getting the you know first aid and all that good stuff, um, along with their physical education component. Because but, but there's a phys ed requirement, but there's no wellness requirement from the state. So, I mean, for us, wellness has always been right. kind of combined because it's, again, we hear from mm -hmm. kids that that's what they're asking for. When we get to our 11th and 12th graders now, that's when it drops to just the, the physical component and kids can add in levels there as well. Um, that ends up being additional electives that they're having to take outside of that wellness class that we would be able to bring into that. Is in Okay. including the leadership, life after Canton, um, some of our real cornerstone classes would now be accessible to all students. So is that going to be a change because our graduation requirements list PE and well, P, wellness PE and health dynamics? They would be combined into wellness, yes. So I, I'd like to see how that would work out because I'm not understanding how what you're proposing is facilitated by, again, yep. it, if we have four years of <coughs> PE, but it looks like for PE and for health dynamics, I'm wondering if that health dynamics piece is, or what, however, it's, sure. it's, it's yep. doubling, yep. so to speak, the requirements. Um, the other thing, so if you could come back with how this would look, yeah. I'd be, find that very helpful. A much more extensive explanation. Yeah. Yep. So the the other piece of it that um, I did want to check on was, in terms of the, the current um, schedule, when Mr. Devoid, who was you know chair of the math department, was here. You know, he said under the current drop schedule, our students are, are losing 26 class periods per subject over the course of the year. And that to me was a jaw-dropping number. That our, of a, it, you know, we'll just say core, yeah. core classes, our kids are losing 26 classes a year. So, you know, how, if, if this were to become the way Canton High does it, yeah. how does it address, I mean, that I think is a huge gap for our students already. So what's class, what, basically time on learning we're talking about now, and how would this look, again, going back to core classes? So that would be some more information I'd be looking for. Yeah, I don't understand the loss. I think it's an equal distribution over the seven-day rotation. I'm not sure where that... All I can, you know, that's that's what yeah. he said, so that's why I was really stunned by yeah. it, so... Um, I think the only other way to do it is to shorten the class periods, and then you lose the time on learning. Um, 
versus a seven by seven, which keeps them all equal over a seven day rotation. You would also you would also limit if you didn't drop classes and you didn't have that model. We have a fairly typical yeah, drop model across yeah. the end. I mean, when when Don looks at when Mr. Devoy looks at schedules, I think what he's referencing is if the same class is met every single day, this is what it would be. Mm-hmm. There's a yin and yang all the time with with schedules. It would eliminate and give zero flexibilities with electives, uh, performing arts. It would be. I've lived a schedule yep. during um, during the housing crisis when when the whole schedule had to be crunched, and they basically had no studies. They just took their core classes. They had no choices, no electives. Yep. It was not a fun year for for anyone. Um, so it's not about uh, loss. It's about how to maximize a full schedule to get students across the board levels of interest and having a time period where it can be maximized for. Uh, teaching and learning. It is very typical for high schools to drop a period. I think that's a really interesting point that you just made too about the levels of interest in engaging in things outside of just the core subjects because that's part of what helps our kids be present in those core subjects. Oh yeah, I'm just asking that that question about when we start about talking about again, especially coming out of a pandemic, we're talking about learning loss. Oh, uh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no. So, so just looking at it that way, again, of course, electives are important. No one's, I think, disputing that, but it's how are we allocating the time that our students are spending, and is it in best service of, you know, learning? So, Ms. Cummings, <laughs> Ms. Cummings. Um, no, I think the number of days we don't see are 26 however we some of us look at it as that long block period mm-hmm. is kind of like two days mm-hmm. so you get the extended time so it doesn't feel like to students in classes sometimes it doesn't feel like there's any time necessarily lost within our schedules okay. and the other piece that I'd be curious about uh, getting a sense of is I know um, we've heard in our, our staff service at the high school concerns about large class sizes. So I, we have some general sort of high level numbers. I think it'd be really helpful to get a list of the class titles and the numbers of students. Sure. I think that'd be really interesting. I mean, typically it sounds like our world languages are high numbers, but I would love to see an overview for the full, you know, for, of the full schedule. What, what are we talking about in terms of large class sizes? Sure. Or, or how is it, you know, skewed in one direction? Is it spread across the, 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 the disciplines? But I would find that very helpful. Yeah, it I might think be interesting sorry, to get um, a demographic breakdown just to understand which groups are in larger classes as yeah. well. Yeah, I think by default, um, and again, it's easy accessible data that we can certainly pull together, mm-hmm. there are certain required classes, and if we have a large class that comes in, those numbers you know, will be up, and then they sort of balance out over the course of their four years. Um, and then certainly our super popular classes with good reason are generally popular, but there's also caps on a lot of those classes too. Um, and that is a challenge in our current schedule because if a student wants a class, it's capped. Their limit, their options get very limited if they have these sort of non-full-time classes. Um, so there's been some classes that haven't been able to run because of that, uh, that the hope is this would then open up those options as well. One thing I wanted to do is perhaps ask um, either of of you uh, to talk about, because I I think at one point you did um, share with me, uh, Superintendent Fallen, the idea that if we went to the semesterization model, um, you know, when we very well, looks like we will, may, um, uh, there would be the opportunity for students to take 
all sorts of additional, even math electives. There, it, it actually changes the, it, it sounded like, it changes, it's, it's not just about, um, and of course it could be drama and the arts and, and wellness, but really the, the ability for students to kind of direct their interest even in um, different kinds of um, some of the core subjects, which could also be super helpful for um, different areas, maybe they're trying to round out their skill set or explore careers. Is that true? And I think it's important when we say electives, a lot of those electives are an extra AP class or a second science class. We don't mean, you know, what we would think of as electives that are maybe less rigorous or it's truly an additional class outside of their graduation requirements at whatever level or in whatever subject they mean. Um, for some of those kids, it's a, a second science class at, at the real top level that right now they can't because they have that floating lab period that takes up an entire period. So if a student wanted to take AP chemistry and, I don't know, we'll say AP statistics at the same time, they might not have that opportunity. If, we, if all of those classes meet at the same amount of time on the same kind of clock hours within that schedule, it really does allow them those opportunities. And as they advance through the grades, it will open up um, those two full periods so that again going from 8 to 12 is substantial when we look at a, a student's sort of course load over the, the course of high school um, and it really will allow them they can map that out because they'll know they don't have to worry about where guidance seminar fits they don't have to worry about what well, I kind of want career um, the career readiness course but that's a three day per week every year, all year class we don't have anything else like that so making that a semester course, it's a very popular, very useful class. Kids can pick when they want to take that over the course of which year and know how to balance their time outside of that. Um, we've also had students, and we hear from them quite often, that uh, they've wanted a certain wellness elective, um, and by default, because of the schedule, they've never gotten it, ever. Um, being able to weave all those now into those classes that all kids will have those experiences, we can get rid of that factor as well. It's still going to be tight. Ninth and 10th grade will always be tight. It just is. There's a lot for the students to take to sort of move on to the next levels. Um, if students are in our academic strategies classes, which are um, for students on IEPs, that's a class they have to take. So that gets a little bit tighter as well. Um, but sort of the, the floodgates open up a little bit beyond that. That's, that's terrific. And that's what's really exciting to me as a parent. Excited for my own yeah. children to have that opportunity to choose, and then for everybody else. Yeah. And we can again, we we've got some rudimentary graphics that we can pull together and shine up a little bit that we'll be able to mm -hmm. kind of compare what right now what a ninth grade schedule looks like, which what it could look like over a couple of terms, um, and then the same for we picked mm -hmm. an eleventh grader. Um, so those might be helpful just to sort mm -hmm. of visualize a little bit, kind of where those doors open for those students. I think it's a game changer. Yeah. All right, thank you. Other Absolutely. questions about the semesterization model or for Mr. Sperling? Just a comment, really. I love the idea that students are going to be able to, or if we, if this goes ahead, would be able to follow their passions more at whatever level it is. Uh, as you said, interests, passions, um, extra credits for, for more advanced classes, if that's what they wanted to take towards college admission, whatever it is. Okay, thank you very much. Great, thank you. <coughs> so in addition to um, any more information that we get, I think at some point we will see this incorporated as a proposal into the program of studies, and that's when it comes up for a vote for the school committee. Mm -hmm. <coughs> All right. Full transparency, we have a program of studies coming next uh, school committee meeting.
I asked uh, Mr. Sperling to move forward as far as, uh, not to be presumptive or anything, but, um, you know, to, to kind of put it out there and share what it would look like and even share those particular schedules. I think that's what he's prepared to do when he talks about more of a profound element. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought it was a pretty bold idea, having lived with the schedule and mm -hmm. some of the limitations. I, I looked and I was like, really proud of the team to bring that forward. So let's try and incorporate and see what it looks like in program studies. Wonderful. All right, so now for discussion of the, oh. The budget, can I? Yes, please. Okay, <laughs> okay so my question is um, for services. Do we have, we've had some conversations, I don't see it reflected on, on the asks, to support or have added monies designated for the food services overall. Where or at what point would it be appropriate to talk about that? Um, so we do currently have a food service line item um, in the operating budget, which we typically do not use. Um, I believe it's $50,000. Um, I'm getting a nod yes from the crowd. Um, so that money is there. Um, it is, it's, it's typically been there to help support. So the, the food service is not typically part of operating right. because it operates out of a revolving account and it is self-sustaining. And so that $50,000 is there um, to bring that account full if it ran into the negative at the end of the year. Um, I certainly don't expect that to happen given the, the balance. Um, so my suggestion, and because leading into this year we were unsure until late if, um, if lunch was going to be mm -hmm. totally reimbursed. And so because of that, we're continually to, to see increased balance in that um, revolving account. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I believe that we can do more with that money that is there and working with Martha and the food service team. And then as we begin to do that, we would plan um, for probably FY25 and out to start building from the operating budget if needed. Okay, so can I can I take this back to you and sure. see if I understood this correctly? So, from the money that is currently in the revolving account that we could tap into, we could supplement what Martha already has from her operating budget, her which is self-sustaining, so that we can potentially improve or offer additional food, different options within our food services department yes. to the schools. Yes, and what I'm saying is that utilizing that money out of the revolving account is not a sustainable model, and we know that. But it is, I believe there is sufficient monies in that revolving account um, to help do what you're suggesting over the course of next year and potentially yeah. the year after. And then as we see what those are and, and really start to evaluate those revolving accounts, um, we can see uh, what the need would be. Okay, I just want to make sure that we keep it in mind that we, or part of my intent is to help figure out how do we bring fresh foods, and I know there's a whole long list of reasons and difficulties that we have experienced from a supply chain and everything else, and constraints within the budgets and all of that, but um, I do want to keep it top of mind as we're moving forward. Yes. Okay, thank you. That was right. it. Awesome. Other discussion by the school committee of the budget in its first read. I have some comments. Student services. Real. <laughs> yep. So, Ms. Burns. Yep. So, when we talked about this um, in the finance subcommittee, it was tied to adding assistant principals at the elementary school. 
So um, I asked that they put together a graphic so we could sort of visually see how the org chart would look. So if you could yes, tackle happy that. Yes, so, um, this is definitely a labor of love for me, having lived um, several of these roles in my prior uh, positions here in Canton. So allow me to kind of explain a little bit about the current structures, and then we can talk a little bit about what um, fully funding the 3.0 assistant principals would kind of unlock here. So currently, we are set up to have the director of student services and the assistant director of student services, which also encompass 0.5 of their role as the out-of-district coordinator. And then underneath that, there was um, your student services administrator at the high school and a student services administrator at the Galvin. And they were solely student services focused, right? They are um, charged with compliance, legal um, regulations, running all of the progress meetings, annuals, initials, reavals, and they also function like a department coordinator. So they're doing supervision, evaluation, um, professional development and um, you know running day-to-day -day kind of operations for that scheduling what have you at the elementary level each of the team chairs is 0.5 team chair and 0.5 assistant principal but they're also doing supervision evaluation um, oversight scheduling things like that above and beyond just the legal compliance of operating like a team chair and then at our preschool we had um, Donna as our early childhood coordinator, Ms. Kilday, and we also used to have a 0.6 uh, preschool team chair that ran the meeting. So with um, all of the changes this year, we've been really critically looking at what do we know about our current structures? What do we know about student performance? How have we provided support not only to our students, but our educators that fulfill these roles and our um, student services administrators that are also wearing many hats? And we have... Um, pretty solid data points with regards to some things that aren't working well. Um, one being just the sheer volume of the work, particularly student services side at the GMS and the CHS. We've had a lot of turnover in, in those positions. And at the elementary level, knowing that um, you know it's hard to be a building administrator, dealing with emergencies, crises, while also managing all of the compliance that come with um, you know IEP implementation. So, with that, and I'll talk about ML in a second, um, when we started looking at the opportunity to really be talking about elementary assistant principals since I've been here, um, looking at that as an opportunity to not only just um, directly impact the elementary uh, individuals that hold these roles, but also how can we kind of make our whole structure better to really look at um, providing more targeted support. We've added programs um, over the past several years, which just all of that really um, requires more uh, targeted and specialized support to really get the most out of these um, programs and services for our students and we looked at um, different opportunities to support the student services department as a whole so like this year we had our first um, professional development for them which was incredibly well received and really designating time and space into supporting their work and their practice with our neediest students that consistently show data that um, we would like to improve in those subgroups year over year so when we look at this um, infographic that we put together, this allows the um, overall structure to change, so not just elementary. So what it would entail would be um, creating two assistant director of student services. One would be pre-K to five, and one would be six to 12, and they would also not be responsible for the supervision and oversight of our students in out-of-district placements. So these two roles would solely be um, district-facing positions. They would obviously be supporting kids in out-of-district placements right at that level, but they would be able to be in buildings, be able to um, supervise and evaluate our special educators and related service providers. They would be providing um, professional development to these groups, 
Also, um, making curriculum recommendations, investing some time in looking at, um, you know, what are our current student needs with all of Mr. Fogel's lovely data analysis, uh, being able to provide that and bringing it back to our teams as well. And then we would maintain our GMS and CHS team chairs, but they would really be focusing on the running um, of the IEP meetings, the legal, the compliance, the scheduling, and they would also continue to evaluate our unit E members. So they would still be in classrooms and um, observing students in that role. The elementary team chairs, my recommendation, because, and I can kind of talk about you know numbers in an average, typically the GMS and CHS are running about 120 to 140 students on IEPs in a given year, and it fluctuates. Um, so think about just the volume of meetings that goes with that. At the elementary level, they run about 60, 80, right? The Hanson's probably the highest right now because they have um, two substantially separate programs. So I think they're at about 80. I think the Luce is at about 70. So if you were sharing two schools, we'd have to look at um, equitably pairing that. But that team chair would share one elementary school and a second and solely be focused on the IEP um, component of their job, the legal compliance portion. And then um, one of the elementary team chairs would also share the, the direct responsibility over the out-of-district students and the um, scheduling of their meetings and their compliance and their legal regulations. And um, through much consultation with Mrs. Kilday, um, we would want to promote just having that one individual at the preschool that's um, doing both the um, programmatic oversight at the Rodman and also running all the meetings. It's really hard to um, disaggregate kind of the, the IEP needs and the initials and the EI referrals and then also be doing like the building administration. They kind of have jived really nicely together and she's done a tremendous job this year. Um, and we're looking at, you know, sort of how we can make that um, continue to make it a more sustainable position as a 1.0. So, um, and the other kind of sidebar goal that I've had just historically, we've, we've had some weird structural positions. Like for a while, we were doing the out-of-district coordinator as a 0.7 when we had the 0.6 preschool team chair. There's not a lot of, um, you know, interest, right, in the job market and community to sort of fill some of these non-full-time positions. So this structure would really allow us to create full-time sustainable positions that also kind of... Um, give our own um, administration a chance to sort of have a career progression, right? Like this is an opportunity for us to kind of stand out maybe from some other districts where you only have, you know, maybe one opportunity to, you know, increase if you have um, professional aspirations in the world of special ed curriculum and development, there's an opportunity to go that path. If you're interested in the legal and compliance component, there's an opportunity to sort of stick in that realm. And um, finally, this would allow us then to also have a 0.6 ML department coordinator, similar to our other district level um, department coordinators. We've had an increase, as Mr. Marshall said, with student uh, enrollment in this area. They are a unique specialized position, so our teachers need really um, highly specialized supervision and professional development and opportunities to learn with that group. Um, Ms. Omar is doing that role for us this year in a stipended position, and she's done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, kind of getting a good sense of who are our students. She's written profiles now of who are our ML students. Um, she's worked really hard in her stipended role to support um, ways to use our Title III grant funding in a more student-focused uh, way as opposed to what we had historically been providing. And we also have a lot of families that are enrolling and, um, you know, need that more 
warm touch wraparound experience when they're coming in. So this person could help assist um, with our student registration for our families who are not native language speakers and um, subsequently be providing more consult to our early childhood center. So at this point we are compliant, but I, I'm envisioning um, if you're kind of reading the trends that we're gonna have to be providing more um, intensive proactive supports to our students, not just in kindergarten, but at age three, similar to the way we support students on IEPs. So that's a lot, but this is like a labor of love, as I mentioned, and it's very much um, in draft form. We've been talking about it. Um, we talked about it at um, the principal level. I've talked about it with our current team chairs and student services administrators, and um, it's been very well received with regards to allowing people to specialize and focus in some of these roles as opposed to wearing so many hats and feeling like you're stopping one thing constantly and starting another and then not really having anything get the full attention that it really deserves. I do, so I'm, I'm looking at the graphic, and so we're starting, so the proposal is three elementary assistant principals. So typically, it's been a, a principal with a team chair, and it was always seemed to me to get two people doing three jobs. So now we have a, we potentially have a principal, and assistant principal, and, and so elementary, so right now the three elementary team chairs are half-time positions. So we'll say the elementary team chair of elementary one would also do out of district coordinator 0.5, okay? So then the other two elementary half-time team chairs will be one person. So we're talking about two people. Correct. With two half, which is sort of what we do now. Okay. Two schools. Okay. Yeah. So the early childhood coordinator and pre-K team chair, we're currently doing that with Mrs. Kilday, correct? This year, right? Yeah. In the past, it was always 1.6. Okay. So, I, so in terms of the assistant director for pre-K to five and six to 12, are those new positions? So we had an assist, we have an assistant director of student services right. now. So yeah. that's a 1.0 currently. Yeah. So this would split that into two and remove the out of district responsibility from that, so that we'd have someone doing almost like the department head, like each of the other um, six to twelve content areas, if you will, have a department head that's doing <coughs> teacher supervision, evaluation, um, professional learning, planning, develop things like that. So we don't really have a designated person that does that curriculum work and does the staff supervision is really a huge one um, in those those higher grade levels. So that person would fulfill that role. Now, is this revenue neutral? So it's a 3.0 request for the assistant principals, right. and this is budget neutral. Okay. This is FTE neutral as well. Okay. So the what? But are two new positions are taking? It's a redesign. Okay. All right. The out-of-district coordinator, which would be shared with the elementary team chair, 0.5, is that out-of-district for just the elementary or for... For the district. Okay, so how is that going to work? Because that seems like if someone's doing half-time team chair for an elementary school, and then on top of that is doing out-of-district coordination for the entire district. Yeah, so the out-of-district coordinator role has been 0.5. It was 0.5 when I held it as the assistant director, too. Mm -hmm. um, so it is doable. We talked a lot, actually, today, this morning, about... What are some of, whenever you're 0.5 of something and 0.5 of something else, right, it always takes a, a fair amount of creative thinking. Um, and we were sort of thinking about that as a group. Obviously, we'd have to be really planful about which elementary school would be sharing that, right? There's some thoughts and ideas. And I, I would say that um, we're still kind of mulling that over about the best kind of pairing for that. But ideally, it would be, you know, um, actually, Ms. Muldoon at the Galvin had a great suggestion. She had done this in prior uh, districts. 
and sort of saying like, okay, if I designate two days for this building and two days for that, and then I have that flex day, you do have the opportunity then to, you know, try to, and there's always something that comes up, you know, a family member that can only meet on a Tuesday, that kind of a thing. But ideally these meetings are planned out. When you're doing this job well and you're able to be, um, you know, solely focused on the scheduling of these meetings in an efficient way that allows for, you know, good time and data review and all of that, you're scheduling out your annuals, you know, months in advance. So you have all of that, and then it's really about coordinating the travel time. So, you know, with the students in out-of-district placements, we, do, we are required to go and observe um, our students as part of our monitoring contract with them. But one of the things that um, I'll be trying to get started this year, although it has not come to fruition yet, is allowing other um, in-district staff, so allowing other team chairs, right, other people, maybe other special educators if they're interested, to go and do some of those out-of-district monitoring for us. It doesn't have to solely live with that one person. Ideally, we're going and we're looking at these programs to say, are you implementing the services that we have contracted with you to provide? Are you following the student's IEP? What does that look like? There's so much benefit in anyone going and doing some of those observations and monitoring. It just makes our whole department stronger. If you go to one of these programs and you see things that we, we could be implementing or things that would be better professional learning there's nothing like seeing you, know, you talk about AAC and all of that stuff um, you know consultation there's so much to get when you go into these programs that we could bring back and improve our own practice so that is a big component of it but I don't think that has to solely live with one individual it would be better shared and how many out-of-district placements do we currently have we have about 62 currently um, on the HSI, I assume that's Homeschool Interventionist 3.0, is that um, how, middle, middle school, high school, I'm sorry, middle school, high school, elementary? Yes, One and the preschool, yeah. Okay. And the um, ML coordinator, 0.6 now, so the current person's currently doing it 0.6. No, we don't have anybody doing it right now. It's oh, a she's doing a stipend position, okay. yeah. So again, is, and this is built into the budget, correct? This 0.6? It is the point six is a little difficult to explain in a sense, but um, if it would, if it's can I try? Out, yeah, go ahead. Okay, because right here so our that so uh, so the point five request yeah. is there yeah. in case mm -hmm. the assistant principals did not okay. were not fully funded. So um, that was like a request of student services, mm -hmm. um, regardless of any change. Okay. So we're at 8.6, right? Student services administrators right now in Canton are budgeted for 8.6 full-time positions. This whole chart here is 8.6 okay. still. No, don't include the nurse leader, director of counseling, right. or HSIs, right? But just student services administrators. But it does, it does eat at the 1.5 of the assistant principal. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's a, a dual role now currently. Thank you. That was very helpful. Super helpful. Really helpful, thank you. Um, I don't have any additional questions about student services, just generally um, yeah, wanting to reflect that we, we know that the work is obviously important and incredibly um, difficult, and over time, a restructure, it sounds like, has been coming and needed. And so the idea that this work is happening now and then with the addition of um, assistant principals at the local elementary schools. I, I feel like it's just going to lift all boats. So I'm really um, quite thrilled with the work here and what's to come. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Okay. Um, Can I ask one more question? Yeah, yeah, because I also, yeah. Oh, really? oh, this is actually, Mr. Mulhern is here. I just wanted to, and we could come later, the um, detention stipend. I know, so we, had, again, talked about it briefly in the, the uh, 
finance subcommittee, but now that you're here, you can you can speak to it directly. Okay. So just explain, because I know it's the sort of practice piece of it. So how is this different than, well, what's what's detention now, and how would this be different? Well, to start, that's a very good question. What is detention now? It's many different things, but it's not one uh, clearly definable thing currently at GMS. Um, you know, we have different models of intervention. One of them is lunch detention, which, uh, because we are kind of maxed out on space, personnel depends on what rooms are available, for instance, you know, when we have, and usually we limit lunch detention for transgressions that occur during the lunchtime. Um, we also do have after-school detention as needed. It's usually monitored by an administrator if an administrator is available, not in a meeting, not monitoring an athletic event, something like that. So, um, but having said all that, we, as Mr. Marshall mentioned in the in the introduction, as a district, we've made restorative practices a, a priority area of focus in our um, behavioral interventions going forward. So this month, in fact, uh, we're, we're shifting our professional learning focus at GMS to um, start to implement some of these restorative practices in every day. Uh, some of them are proactive. We're going to get, um, we have a guest speaker coming on Tuesday to our staff meeting to talk about some of the psychological factors that underpin some of the behaviors that we see sometimes that kind of cause some frustration on staff's part, and she's going to offer some suggestions on interventive uh, measures that, that are truly effective, given that information. And then later in the month, we're going to uh, train the faculty in um, proactive restorative circle work uh, that we're, we're hoping to roll out during X-Block. So in, in that spirit, we would really like a spot that's regular, uh, and the stipend will go to either one or two staff members who are trained up in, in circle work and sort of interventive work. Um, and we envision having a space where uh, students serve a detention, but it's not the old model of you sit there and you know you write the same thing a thousand times on the board or, or something that's strictly punitive. It'll have a, uh, an educative model. Uh, we hope to have a sort of menu, if you will, of restorative practices that can be offered to kids that kind of um, mirror what, whatever the transgression may have been so that we have some an opportunity for the student to reflect on what they did, what the impact was on others, which is always such an important component, particularly for middle schoolers, um, and a chance to maybe do um, some restorative work around the building, depending, again, on you know what the offense was and, and what perspective we hope that the young person will gain from it. So um, it would be built very much along the, the lines of the restorative practices that we're going to be implementing uh, in everyday practice. So that's that's the vision for it. So it says it would be held every day late buses available, so that's what, three days a week? Yes, currently it's every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So what if you don't need it? Like, I mean, is your expectation that this will have to run every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday? Um, I can envision a need for it just about every day uh, based on what we have now because right now what we essentially have is when we don't have when we don't assign a student to a detention when a slot might be available or a person might be available it's essentially warnings 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 and then a hearing uh, for an exclusionary consequence and we really need to build in some more middle steps um, that, that reduce uh, exclusionary consequences. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yep, anytime. Made a very difficult concept very clear. Appreciate that. All right, so I just had a couple of um, 
a high-level question, um, a comment, and then one more. And so the first one is just so that everybody is aware, um, when we're going through the budget, there is sort of the overall the budget request, the superintendent's request, and as you already mentioned, like we, we don't know what the final amount is, but we do, even though some of these cuts are hard, um, I, let me just add, I'm guessing odds are we may be squeezed further. Um, I'm just wondering if um, either um, uh, Mr. Folan or Mr. Marshall, you could just talk a little bit. I didn't know it's hard to predict what happens next, but just what generally happens so people have a sense of how this works. Yeah, so I didn't talk any totals. The um, total requests um, are over $4.5 million and um, equate to almost a 9% increase over our um, current budget. Uh, the superintendent's request at this point is a $3.7 million request, and it's a 7.3%. Um, I am, uh, I would be shocked if uh, we were provided a 7.3% um, increase um, in allocation. So I would say yes, um, there is absolutely going to be a need to trim further. Yeah, and that just qualifies my comment next, which is I am. Um, sad that we're not able to move forward in some aspects with the world language that we were excited about, but I do understand spacing requirements, sort of operational readiness, and <coughs> limitations to the budget. So that's just a comment. Um, I was excited about that. Um, and then lastly, I know you said there's information to come, but related to the human resource management piece, is this amount of money in addition to other money that is allocated now? Correct. Okay. Um, so. I believe it was 75 or 70 or $75,000 that was put forward as the HR generalist position that last year. Entirely This 41,000, um, it would be an addition to that for one position yeah. that we have not hired for. Roger that. But is already budgeted. Okay, thank you very much. Yes. Other comments or questions from the school committee on this first read of the budget? Just echoing what you just mentioned about the world languages, it was my, my other close to my heart request of food services and, and languages, and I understand that we might not be able to do it in this round of the budget, but I do want to keep it like, like food services top of mind as much as we can and figure out a way that we can bring some of that to the elementary level. Because yeah. yeah. certainly we've heard from our parents as well. Our parents are looking for element, um, you know, language at the elementary level. So yeah, yeah. we're hearing yeah. that. It's not easy. Yeah, we we understand uh, that. That's that's certainly why you know Miss um, Olson was embraced to to put it forward. Um, one thing I know, I certainly in asking questions, I I don't try to um, cut off any enthusiasm for a particular request. Um, there are times in their districts they'll say no, that, like that's not going in. Mm -hmm. We like to be fully transparent. Sometimes put something in there that we know, okay, it didn't make it through this budget cycle, we make it through another. And the other question I always ask folks is, is the plan ready to go? Um, because one of the things, there's an element as a concept, yes, we believe it, but have we allowed the principals and educators in those buildings to make sure it fits and how might it look? And, um, you know, I wanna make sure that we have, you've seen plans from like semesterization, the assistant principals we've talked about. Let's make sure that when we have a budget allocation, we can launch the plan right away. And we got some, truth be told, we have some more planning that needs to happen with regard to that. Okay. So it's valued. So. 
So, so to that point, um, in terms of the elementary principals, I know I'd, li I'd like to see job descriptions, how that breaks down to what the principal would be doing in this structure and what the assistant principal would be doing. And in terms of the math interventions, and we also asking for district tutors, I would like to see more detail about how that's going to work. Mm -hmm. So um, the math intervention at the middle school, the math intervention at the high school. I know there's some, you know, some some description here, but just a little more, a little more detail. And sure. then the district tutors. That was the other thing. Says six up to six part-time tutors. Yep. To I'd like to know more about how the academic support program will work before school, after school, during school. So, um, you know, I'd like more more detail about that. Okay. I'm good. <coughs> Hearing no other discussion, we will move on to the next item on the agenda. And that is a um, potential quick one, we'll see. Uh, item E3, our 2023-2024 district and school committee calendar. And so uh, Superintendent Fallen is here um, and ready to talk to us through our first read of our district and then our school committee meeting calendar for the next year. And these are two separate items. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's in front of you is um, first read, first draft of, thank you, Ms. Goby. She doesn't want any attention, so she <laughs> probably hated that I said bye. Um, this is certainly for the public. I, I'm very happy here early in January that we're putting forward this here for considerations. We know plans are built around this. Mm -hmm. As the community recalls, the committee already voted on the start, what the start looks like. So that's here, and it mirrors the start of this year. Before Labor Day, uh, staff on the 28th, 29th, students on 30, 31st, the Friday, um, September 1 is off, so this is that four-day weekend. Uh, so that's reflected here. Uh, you'll see that professional development days are, are sprinkled throughout, and it almost mirrors this current year. Um, we always review this with the CTA leadership. We reviewed it with our teams, our department heads, and try and get a sense of where does things run up against. Um, so there's some thoughtful preparation. Uh, Ms. Rooney and Ms. Hutchinson uh, do a great job of vetting it through. We look at it as a team. <coughs> Between assessments and, and various other conferences, we try to put forward uh, something that makes sense and can lay out. The last day uh, provided no snow days. I know everyone likes to give me a hard time about that, but. Um, that was no so far. I know, so far, oh, piece of cake. That. that happened last year, too. We did. Um, so June 13th is would be the last day um, here, graduation 7th. Um, so we put this forward for consideration. I told the CTA in discussion, uh, Ms. Shannon and I met with them. You know, in the past, we've done uh, professional development days on Wednesdays. We're taking a pretty hard look at how we do that in our long-term planning. That might be something that comes back. But for the time being in presenting this calendar, we stuck with the Fridays. Uh, we certainly want to, I think, maximize when our days happen professional development-wise. But just for the sake of continuity at this point, uh, we're putting forward those days. And it almost replicates this year. So that's the overview there. <clears throat> and then we look at the model here of the school committee calendar of when those meetings happen as well. Again, thoughtful. We have events that stay away from them. We try to uh, have two meetings per month, um, but open to you know thoughts or comments. 
in just a first read, so if you want to take some time to look at it, we'll be coming back next meeting as well. Okay. Okay, okay wonderful. Yep. Should we stop and just discuss this one first and see if there are any comments? Uh, yeah, I'd be open to it, sure. Okay. Uh, yep. Are there any initial questions or comments about the um, school calendar that's been presented for a first read? All right, terrific. Oh, yes. Um, I know I've gotten a lot of questions as to why our professional development days are on Fridays from students. It's more of why do we have a half day on Friday instead of Wednesday. But what is the actual reason, just so I know? Yeah, I mean, there's, we've had it in both. I, I don't really have a good reason. Okay. There, there's some sentiment um, in the community for Fridays. Uh -huh. There's some sentiment in the staff for Fridays. Mm -hmm. There's also been, uh, in the past, sentiment for, for Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. um, so we've had both, you know, through COVID, kind of that middle of the week worked. Um, so it, it honestly has bounced back and forth between each one. You know, I think the, the one thing that we really are committed to is trying to find the time where uh, it really maximizes professional learning. Um, and that's a lot of, they, they are put in all different ways um, in, in, in different days within districts. But ultimately, it's a goal for professional learning, which is critical for educators in uh, trying to identify that day as the, uh, what's the right day for that optimization of that is the, the key. So like I said, we thought continuity for this year, uh, going with the, the Friday, but we are gonna be looking on, along the strategic planning route around uh, possibly returning to Wednesdays to get um, you know, a strong model moving forward. Okay, no problem. Good question. All right, great question. And just a comment from me, and actually, last question. Was it March last year that we were looking at this calendar? I just want to say that this is really <coughs> early, and I think this is really helpful. It's going to be a helpful planning tool for others. I it think was, it was draft. I'm, I'm, going for, I'm looking up for my lifeline with Ms. Rooney. It was draft. I think it might have been later than March last year. So we just need to take a moment and um, reflect on a very positive thing. One, we've known now for the first time the start of schools yep. prior to a new year, which helps everybody plan. Um, and then <coughs> secondarily, to even have this up for discussion right now reflects a lot of work and planning and timing and asks to get here. So thanks to everybody involved in that. Yeah, you know it's important for families and staff. It really is. Um, Absolutely, and I think it's great that we were able to move forward earlier this year. Nicely done. Um, I noticed that the new proposal has parent conferences for CHS. So it's great to see that in here. Is that new? Because I didn't see it from this past year. Uh, I know it's something we've been clamoring for. Yeah. Debbie tried to answer. Thank you. Welcome, Ms. Rooney. <laughs> So that was a change we made this year. Um, we have always had CHS parent conferences. They have all taken place in the same <coughs> week in the past. So if you think about that week in November, prior to Thanksgiving, um, we would do middle school and elementary. And then the Monday before Thanksgiving, we would do high school. Um, after school and evening conferences, not on the early release. It was all after the regular school day. Um, feedback that we got from the department heads especially was that that made for really a brutal week. Um, they would have conferences on Monday, they had department meetings on Tuesday, we had a half day on Wednesday, and off we would go for the holiday. A lot of families found that week challenging. 
Um, and so Mr. Sperling uh, requested this year that we reconsider that date um, and we moved it to its right um, placed nicely in the in term one, like mid-term one. So parents have an opportunity to have a conference with the parents about halfway through the first term. So you really have a good opportunity to get some feedback on how things are going, especially if you have a ninth or 10th grader, right? And you're, like high school is new for you, that the conferences are a little bit earlier in the year. And so you have time to meet with the teacher, understand how your child is doing, and salvage things if you need to before the term closes. Um, so we did that this year. It worked out really well. Um, and Mr. Sperling asked us to keep that in place, so we did. Really a lot of good feedback because it allowed a conversation about a week or two before the term closed. Mm -hmm. As a parent, just having that little conversation can maybe lead to a better finish to the <laughs> oh, I, I see a parent in the crowd. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. It, there was a lot of um, just a hey, couple assignments that might need to get done before the term the last, closed. Um, you know, <laughs> week prior to the end of the term, it helps everyone. So, yep. thank you. Yes. For yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Any other comments or questions on this first read of the school year calendar for the Canton Public Schools? Okay. So, um, Mr. Fulham, would you talk us through the school committee calendar that's proposed? Yeah, just to, you know, we're, we're sticking to a Thursday model. Um, and you can see that you know, we meet once in July. Um, and we went to a two-meeting model in August. We found that to be helpful. Um, there's a lot of things that need to be approved before the start of the school year. A lot of um, uh, some matters that really, as we, as we lead into it, uh, we were trying to not overload one particular meeting in, in, in August. So it was nice to be able to have that um, and a little bit of breathing room uh, with that one week leading before leading into the, the week of school. That's a lot of prep that happens there. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it's, uh, it follows a similar model in the sense of it's on Thursdays. It's twice, um, alternates between weeks. Uh, and as a district, we always really make a strong effort to almost have 100% events not land on uh, the school committee nights um, so that everyone can either tune in or as parents you can go to what you need to and just we want to make sure it's designated for those spaces so this just puts it ahead of it um, and we have one in June uh, and and then again we wrap up that school year and we get moving okay terrific yeah. and um, I will just say as a comment that our moving to the additional meeting in August I think has been very helpful um, we as a committee typically meet two or three times for half to full day workshops in the middle of the summer and so work is still obviously getting done um, related to whatever the priorities are for the district at that time. So um, having that extra I think for the committee has worked well as well as there's been some discussion in the past about a meeting happening in this week returning from the holidays and whether or not um, I'm pushing it back uh, makes sense. but. Honestly, it just has an, a, a, a domino effect all the way leading to graduation yeah. um, and other events that are really important that we also must attend. Um, for anybody that's uh, kind of new to the school <coughs> committee calendar, um, I will just say uh, on our agenda this evening and every evening, uh, item I talks about all of the other subcommittee task force liaison posts that we also must attend and be part of as part of the school committee. And so, um, as much as it may make sense for us to meet every single week, there is 
um, honestly, meetings happening every single week, but with other groups within the town um, or our schools or within each other um, to be able to get some of the other work of the, the district done. So that's um, really the bigger picture um, that I want to make sure that everybody has a sense of. Other questions or comments on this first read of the school committee um, open session meeting calendar for 2023-2024. Okay. The question was addressed already, so good. Awesome. Fabulous. All right, and I am fully cognizant of just how um, long we're running. This is routine. We have had, I mean, and since prior to COVID, we have had two or three nights where the lights have shut off on us. And then we moved to turn them back on and finish the show. <laughs> so I do appreciate everybody uh, hanging in here, and we're, we're trying to get through this agenda as fast as we can, but as thoughtfully as we can. Okay, so the next item on the agenda is e-new business. That is our number item number four, which would be our Director of Student Services contract. This is up for a vote. Superintendent Folan will now present to us the employment contract for Director of Student Services yeah. um, and his recommendation. Great. Uh, we are so thrilled to have Megan Byrne uh, appointed into this role. She is deeply respected in the district across all the staff ranks. Um, I think you can see the vision that she has. Um, that was a whiteboard idea uh, that she was really thrilled to, to show to everyone and how to unlock it. Um, we are continued to be so impressed with her work this year in the interim role. She's on a one-year contract. Uh, so with the appointment, uh, the charge was for me to engage uh, in uh, contract discussions with her. and. We landed in a, a good spot, and uh, I bring to you a, a three-year contract that would start uh, July 1, 2023, this year. So that, by by law, that has to be voted upon by the school committee. So I bring that to you for a recommendation. All right, thank you very much, and that, that's a good reminder that by law, um, our superintendent makes the appointment, uh, works on the contract, and makes that recommendation to us. That's our only um, role in this process. Yeah. Is there any discussion from the school committee on this item? I'll just say as evidenced by um, the presentation tonight, I'm really excited to be able to call this to a vote this evening. Thank you. We're lucky to have you. Uh, do I hear a motion for a vote for the Director of Services contract um, as presented uh, to us by Superintendent Folan? I will move to approve Megan Burns' contract very happily. Is there a second? Second. All right. Um, I would like to now take a roll call vote. Actually, just ask how many. Aye. Take a vote. Aye. How many ayes? Oh, aye. Okay. All right. Five zero. Uh, this item does pass. Wonderful. Thanks to everyone involved with this, and thank you. We're excited to have you. Awesome. Congratulations. Congrats. All right. So uh, the final item in new business this evening is our district goal update. And so um, not only do I have our superintendent, but also Mr. Fogel to help report on priority items number one and three, um, along with our goal number one inside the district action goals. Welcome. Come on down, Mr. Fogel. Between the two of us, we sound fantastic. <laughs> Coughing and he's had a head cold. And <laughs> When we did this uh, review, <laughs> we were up here. All right, so 
One of the practices that has been really great uh, has been working with Mr. Fogel on uh, the accountability with our work with regard to reporting out with, with these. Um, I'll hit on just a few. He can speak a little bit more some of the things that land within his work uh, around his interaction with staff uh, and data. Um, the first one is around an update with the equity audit uh, report timeline. Uh, CPS is receiving the, the first draft of the equity audit in mid-January. So on track, this is something that we talked about and presented. Um, we have a, in a first review of it. We're going to get it in PowerPoint form and written form. Um, and we have the ability to ask questions and kind of look at it internally. Our strategic planners uh, that we've engaged are looking at it as well, that uh, forward look. Uh, and then uh, sharing it publicly at a March school committee meeting is uh, the plan. So we are on track with that timeline um, and excited to, to look at some of the thoughts and suggestions on how we can uh, be a better district and serve all of our students. So the second one, uh, shared data resources <coughs> that are district and school-wide conversations. Um, this is something that you've seen quite a bit. Um, it, it has been explained around the dashboards and the interactive analysis that's happened. Do you want to speak a little bit more to it, Mr. Fuller? Uh, sure. The, um, the, the sources that help serve these conversations and help uh, monitor our progress towards goals, student achievement, and performance um, is an ever-growing catalog. It, it seems to grow weekly, if not daily, or uh, you know, audience-specific uh, dashboards. Uh, these tools have, I hope, uh, have assisted uh, our teacher teams and uh, building leaders to discover levels of insight that do aid in uh, trend discovery and help formulate performance-boosting strategies for individual students, classrooms, subject-based, grade levels, uh, a variety of uh, you know, potential boosting uh, strategies can be yielded from these dashboards, I hope. Uh, once the dashboards have been developed, uh, I think the, typically we meet with uh, the building principals or team chairs or specialists, uh, help them uh, understand and, and utilize and manipulate the tools and then uh, help them uh, identify what is able to be gleaned from that data and from those tools. Uh, it's often that uh, I will join then the principal or the team chair or the specialists within the <coughs> departments or teacher teams or individual teachers to help them and introduce them to the tool and turn it over to them as well. Uh, I've attended uh, many department meetings, grade level meetings, um, subject specific meetings. Uh, again, just uh, it's a it's a constant uh, re revolving set of of data sources and interactions with it. Um, the, for the secondary department chairs specifically, um, they the secondary departments. I think have a wider range of sources in which to draw from, and it's a deeper reservoir as well. Uh, so often we do consolidate a lot of that data, uh, braid it together to make sense of a variety of sources, and can customize it to whatever the group or the individual or the audience is hoping to, to gain from it. Um, everybody will see quite a bit of me really soon when the window for screeners and benchmarks closes in just a couple of weeks, because then we'll have mid-year data, we'll have uh, comparative analysis from the fall, and then we'll have a really refined uh, <coughs> set of projections and forecasts uh, for the last half of the school year. So um, they might have gotten a small break uh, because of winter recess from me, but uh, I will be uh, working with them very closely and quite often uh, not long from now. That is, no, I think you, you covered all of them, right? Yes. Yes, thanks. 
Yes, he just kept on going. I, was, I, I didn't know. If, I, I didn't know if everyone was following. No, I'm. I'm in it's a good. The, yeah. Yes. I appreciate the brevity. James Earl Jones here. Yes. We're all talking as fast as we can. And I and I also right. want to let you know that he doesn't write about himself in third person when he, you know, Josh Fogel's referenced in there. Uh, it's quite humble, um, but yes, it's uh, this is a public document, so we want to make sure that. Folks know who who's doing the work. <laughs> I realize that Josh Fogel. No, Josh. You know, it's it's you. Yeah, yeah. So that's all. You know, I, I think we're on track. And uh, at, like I said at the midpoint, um, at the the start of my talk, we're excited to see the progress of our students um, and to get an idea of where they are and even what they need throughout the year. Um, educators can do that instinctively, and also when you look at performance data, it kind of matches up some of the things that you're, you're seeing as well. So I think we have a nice combination and good conversations talking about uh, students overall. Yeah, very um, often I find that uh, the data, I think, confirms teacher instincts and uh, it really helps support some of the reflexes that they were already uh, implementing in class and just you know, accelerating more of that progress. Fabulous. Um, well, just a comment from me that um, you know, one of the things I've been uh, most proud about being a part of, because of course we're always just um, able to positively influence in many cases, uh, is the idea that we'd have um, the update that's happening um, as part of our regular agendas yeah. on our district goals and that we've brought in, um, no, no, probably in my time, all of our incredible administrative team, which are like super rock stars. It's been, I'm glad that everybody's been called up and got a chance to shine tonight. Um, being able to not only become very strategic on what it is we're um, focused on as a district, getting beyond broad categories, but making statements about where we want to go, doing that collaboratively with our educators and everybody in the building, um, and then uh, set those targets and move towards them with the benefit of data. Um, to help drive that, I think has been, um, and I think it will be a game changer. Really proud of this um, this group and all the work that you all have been doing to drive us towards that. And then once that strategic plan happens, built on that equity audit um, and a capital plan to help, you know, make those changes um, happen. I think, uh, you know, we're going to see really, really great things for the district. So just again, um, this seems like it's one update, but it's part of a much larger. Um, plan and uh, it's great uh, to hear that we're making such incredible progress. Yeah. You know that there's a lot of work that goes into it. Thank you. Awesome. Other comments? I think to your point of data, I think that meaningful data, like having data for the sake of having data is not useful, but having your expertise helping us navigate the data, not only for us, but for everyone involved as you call them out. It's meaningful data that really advances what we can do and trends that we can evaluate and then set goals based on that, that input. So I think it's really meaningful and useful. Thank you. Yeah, it's one of the things that gives me lots and lots of hope for even better things to come. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Awesome. So then the next item on our agenda is public comment. <coughs> and I just um, need to take a moment and say that Public comment is something that we we do in Canton and is mandated and managed by law. This is not necessarily a, a choice of a structure per se, except that at one point this um, 
school committee did vote to expand the time from three to five minutes to make sure that people did have a chance to be heard as much as they possibly could. Um, public comment allows individuals to express an opinion or share comments on issues to be discussed on the media agenda, the media, the meeting agenda, or within the school committee's authority. It's not an opportunity for discussion or dialogue between individuals and the school committee administration. There's opportunity to do that certainly all the time um, uh, through email, through phone, and all of that. But this is really meant to be an opportunity to um, be heard and then to respect the time of all participants in the meeting. The totality of individual comments cannot exceed five minutes. That's how we've been fair um, since we did expand the policy from three to five. Um, and for any more information on that, certainly we have uh, a link for anybody. So with that, I wanted to open it up uh, first with an apology for just how long it's actually taken to get to this moment on the agenda. Um, and then call down the first person on our... Maureen's going to keep track. And, oh, yes. Ms. So, Moran, will you help us keep track? Yes, yeah, so in Thank my you. role as clerk, I will set the timer for five minutes, and um, you'll hear it go off. Right. Over time, we'll get a clock. That's true. Put that in the budget. Yep. Put that in the budget someday. All right. So uh, the first item, uh, first, excuse me, first person that we'd like to invite down is Rachel Wallace. I believe she's here in person and here to talk to us about policy. Welcome, Ms. Wallace. Hello, thanks for uh, giving me your time tonight. So I will start, I'm Rachel. I am a 2004 CHS grad. My daughter is in the second grade at the JFK and a fourth generation Canton resident. Um, she is neurodivergent and is currently receiving a lot of support services and the staff has been amazing. Um, the educational aides were viciously underpaid. Um, they have been incredible in giving me tips and resources. Her teachers have been fantastic. Um, uh, let me. The admin I know hosted a listening session last year for the teachers where they were trying to determine why the morale was so low among employees. And I wonder if you guys even really heard that because in order for our teachers and the support staff to be able to give our kids the best opportunity possible, they need to not have external pressures and they need to feel supported by all of you and they don't. And I'm going to tell you and it's not even directly their statements. I've had other parents give me statements. <laughs> I was included into any of these negotiations. I thought these lawn signs were a great way to support educators. I did not feel they had any kind of negative connotation. Um, and this felt like a bully pulpit tonight. You all got up here and you were able to give your personal stories and humanize yourselves saying you feel fearful in some way of this big, nameless, faceless body of the CTA who won't go along with your super progressive ideas. And um, I did not hear progressive ideas. Uh, educational aides, my, my mother-in-law 
worked in the cafeteria and then was an educational aide for the remainder of her career. Um, it wasn't a stepping stone to the next block. And as a parent who has a child that receives extra services, I wouldn't want that to be a transitionary role for any reason. Like that is a, that's a skill set that they, that's talent uh, that isn't being maintained, that isn't, I, not, I don't believe in unskilled labor. Every job is necessary. Um, and gosh, let's see. The infrastructure is there. The capability is there. Morale isn't there. It's a management. Um, you all have that responsibility. Um, I haven't seen any teachers in Canton making Facebook posts saying they feel harassed by the school committee. Well, you're all up here being like, Here's my human story. None of the teachers got to do that. None of them. And none of them have badmouthed you or maligned you. You guys have done a bang up job making your presence known. Um, and I would love an itemized list of those 40 amendments or concessions because I would love to know the ways you're supporting our educators. Um, the select board, the police department, the firefighters, you said you guys, um, consulted them in this, but I wonder how, like, in what ways, because they are not um, under, uh, underpaying their staff, um, even in step one, you know, in the contracts, they are, they understand the value of those positions and that they need to be maintained. Um, yeah, I don't even know, humanizing teachers, like, my, there's a kindergarten teacher who went above and beyond for my daughter during pandemic, pan, the pandemic, who now, I know on the outside, tutors uh, another special needs student in the district, a job she has to have because she doesn't get adequate pay. Um, she doesn't have the luxury of using her time to volunteer. This is not a volunteer position. You are an elected body. You are here to support our school system and our educators. You are, you had to, from your political pulpit, run a race that you asked our community for the privilege to serve on this body. And this body was here before you all, and it will be here after you all. Um, yeah, I mean, really, I could say so many things. Uh, this should be a place where teachers want to work. The turnover is mind-boggling. Um, teaching Thank aid, the teaching much, aid. <laughs> okay, the we teaching aid at uh, that was so helpful to my daughter has outweathered three principals. So keep that in mind. Election season's coming up. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time and your voice. So the next item um, person on the agenda is. Excuse me, I need my glasses. Kelly Shibelli? Skibelli? She is not here now, so I will move to the next person on the agenda, who is Ms. Ellen Donovan, and who is not going to make a comment this evening. All right, thank you very much. Is, um, should I ask, is there anyone else in the audience who'd like to make a comment? We'd be willing to host you. All right, well, thank you all very much. Uh, we'll move on to the next item on our agenda, 
which is G, the Director of Finance and Operations Report. Uh, Mr. Marshall has for us an update on transportation and human resources. Thank you. Um, I do not have much more to uh, provide in terms of transportation, um, more than what I provided at our last uh, meeting. It was uh, wonderful to have a little bit of a break uh, without buses running in the morning. I can promise you that. Um, uh, but um, for the most part, uh, things continue um, you know, to operate as they have been operating. Um, yes, we still do have room for improvement. Our transportation consultant is um, uh, has done most of his uh, data gathering um, and is working on uh, compiling his report. He has... Um, uh, consulted with our van transportation providers and with first student um, he reported back that they were um, all very helpful and um, in providing information to him um, and so he's continuing his work and I expect to meet with him next week um, our human resources uh, consultant um, was in the district uh, prior to break um, began um, interviewing uh, central office staff um, and is uh, is uh, hard at work in terms of uh, doing some uh, job descriptions and some other tasks um, that were provided. And so uh, we'll continue to provide updates um, as we have them um, from her. And I don't know if uh, Mr. Fullen has anything to add just in terms of the HR uh, consultant. Uh, she, she finished up working with, a, it's, it's Dr. Pam Gould. Uh, she's one of our strategic uh, planners, also has a specialty in HR, retired superintendent. Um, specific tasks are the job description, faculty handbook, um, and then also interviewing and looking at our structures and procedures to, to do it. It's a big area that we know needs to get better. Um, we work in conjunction with the town's HR director, Jody Middleton. She's great. Um, she supports all this work and sort of the moves that we're doing um, because the number of employees within the, the schools is considerably great. And um, she's been a great partner in the schools and has already worked with, with Dr. Uh, Pam Gould already. So. We're, we're making some good strides in that area. Yeah. Will she be working on the job descriptions for some of these positions? I'm yeah. assuming, okay. We'll, we'll consult with her in terms of the job yeah. descriptions. Yeah, she'll for jump on high priority Great, great. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, does that conclude your report? That concludes my report. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so the next item on the oh, agenda. Can I, can I oh, oh, yes, sorry, I'm sorry. sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, um, um, sorry bus related, transportation related. Um, how long are we going to have our consultant helping us, or is it a period of time, or is it until he gets a <coughs> report back to you or to the committee? How? So right now, he's he the plan is to provide us a report, and then he will continue on as long as we need him. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, we'll have to relook at um, you know our contract with him in, in terms of um, any additional work uh, beyond that. Um, but he is um, here to support us in any way that we need um, okay. from now into the future. So I guess that, that's great to know. I wanted to make sure that we had continuity in case we find things out that we need to address and that we can extend or have more of his time once the report comes out. So Absolutely. He has and the availability, I guess. He does us. and will continue to help support the district um, through our uh, next bid cycles as okay. well for van transportation and Yelp. You know, it, there will probably be other things as well, um, but that uh, we believe will help um, minimize any future uh, problems like we saw in the fall. Okay, thank you. Yes. Fabulous. Okay. So moving on to the next item on our agenda, that is H, the consent agenda. 
And so on this agenda this evening, we have uh, item one, the regular session minutes dated December 15th, 2022. Item two, the executive session minutes dated uh, December 15th, 2022, um, and December 22nd, 2022, and the warrant dated January 6th, 2023. Does any member of the school committee um, wish to remove any of these items for discussion or future review? None. I would like to ask for a motion to approve the consent agenda as written. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. It's an aye for me. Five zero. The consent. Oh, oh. abstention. Oh, and oh. sorry. Four zero with one abstention. The consent agenda is approved. Okay, moving on to the next item on the agenda. It is item I, the update of our subcommittee task force and liaison posts. And I just want to go right down the table and um, ask for any updates that any individual may have. Why don't I start with Ms. Cummings? Um, I don't remember if I reported this. I don't think I believe, but um, the Massachusetts Association of Student Representatives directors are officially report, um, appointed, and I did receive the director of communications position. So I am very excited to continue to work with students across the state and different um, leaders I'll meet along the way to do great things. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Mr. Marshall? Um, I think we've talked about finance committee yeah. enough, um, and I don't have anything more to report in terms of sustainability. I believe we meet next week. Okay. Did you want to mention the OPM walkthrough? Um, I, yeah, so the... Um, <laughs> the MSBA, uh, no, the school building committee um, met. Uh, we currently have a request for services for an owner's project manager uh, okay. that went out um, in December. Uh, bids are due back uh, or proposals are due back next week. Um, and so we did uh, hold a non-mandatory um, tour um, and information session for any uh, prospective bidders. Um, that happened, I believe, December 21st, right before we left for a break. Um, we have had um, a large amount of interest in, um, in providing uh, project manager services. Uh, this is an OPM that uh, likely will see the Galvin Middle School project um, hopefully through completion. Um, so they will really start with um, designer services and uh, managing the feasibility study, um, but then would um, as long as all goes well, would continue to see that project through um, to the end. Uh, so it's very important uh, following many uh, MSBA guidelines, but um, that work is well underway. And then we have a very short timeline um, after uh, proposals are due um, with uh, <coughs> committee members and um, oversight of the BRC uh, to shortlist um, and then interview respondents and ultimately um, select. And then we need to provide that back to the MSBA uh, for their approval before we actually were to um, enter contract negotiations with um, with the prospective OPM. Thank you. I'm all set. Ms. Moran. Oh, oh, sorry. Yep. No, no, I guess I am nothing. All set. All right. Uh, I as well am just about all set. I'll say I anticipate that I will be able to make um, the Master Planning Implementation Committee meeting of this month as well as the um, building renovation committee meeting once they're scheduled and uh, hopefully not on a school committee night. All right, <laughs> moving on. Yes. yes, 
So for policy, our next meeting is next Thursday. We're actually on the off weeks from, from school committee on those Thursdays. Um, hopefully everything's okay with Jim. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we got an email today, so hopefully he'll be fine. Um, content in communications, we had the article run in the news, or the ad, I should say, run in the newspaper last week um, for fall sports. And you'll see, as we followed the pattern last year of the different sections, that will be speeding up. There'll be many more coming to you. And if, again, still that invitation is open to any of um, the high school students that may have interest, graphic design assistance for it. But um, there'll be more things that come to you kind of fast and furious once we all take a breath here um, to, for approval and hopefully get those up and going. Um, and then CCPC, we meet again um, this coming Monday. So nothing to report as of now, just after that meeting. Okay, awesome. Ms. Gallagher, nothing to report. I got nothing. Policy. Right. Next week. Same thing. Okay, wonderful. So the next item on the agenda is J, other business. Are there any um, items or topics to discuss that haven't been posted on this agenda? I wanted to mention one thing. Um, I've been missing from the meetings for a couple of months now, and nothing's more important than family. And I've had some personal obligations that precluded me from attending, but I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to each of you for keeping me in the loop. Uh, so I've still been participating in the background, just not present. Um, Ms. Moran, you've done the lion's share of finance work. <laughs> um, and I just, I appreciate it, and thanks to the team. Thank you. All right, uh, the next item on the agenda, future business. Our next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, January 19th, 2023, at 6 p.m. And with that, uh, can I get a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Aye.